Hey, Foreplay listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. For us, golf is simple. It's a chance to get out and have some fun with our friends. But inevitably, little things have a way of ruining it. The group ahead is taking forever. You can't find the fairway with a map. And the Bev cart is nowhere to be found. And the best way to make a bad day better is Fireball Whiskey. You get their nips, the little shooters. They are great. Makes a bad day way, way, way better. Make sure to grab the new Fireball Birdie Shot Club. It's literally a golf club filled with Fireball nips. Put it in your bag. It'll fit right in that side pocket. Drink Fireball nips and have a great time on the golf course. A lot to talk about. It was an action-packed weekend in the world of golf. Patrick Reed, cheater, not cheater. All the drama that came out from it. Used golf facts is in the mix. There were all sorts of takes, hot takes, cold takes, people backtracking, people sticking to their convictions. Brandel Chamblee was all over Golf Channel doing what I assume will get him more cease and desist letters from the Patrick Reed family, who, by the way, are absolutely phenomenal for professional golf as a whole. We're going to get into all of that. We also have um, World Series champion, pitcher, Ryan Dempster's on the show. He is hilarious. Uh, very, very funny guy. Big golfer. Tells great stories about being at St. Andrews, Pebble, all kinds of good stuff. So we have an action-packed show, like I said. Um, Lurch is slinging drones somewhere. In the uh, in the you know with his fucking Star Wars background, so he'll be on the show probably in ten or fifteen minutes. Anyways, um, I'm joined by my very good friends Frankie Borelli and Mr. Trent Ryan. Gentlemen, hello. Hello, Riggs. How are you guys? Action. You know, sometimes we come on this show and there's not a ton going on in the golf world. We talk about the cosmos and you know how many if we're if we're a drop in the bucket or we'll still talk cosmos. Yeah, we probably still will, but this one in particular, there is a a lot to sink our teeth into in terms of the golf world, and I'm very excited to talk about it because I'm I'm not exactly sure what angle everybody's going to come from, but I'm interested to hear what everybody has to say. Which I will say is pretty much the crux of what my point on Twitter has been all weekend long, which is that guess what, motherfuckers, there is something to talk about, and it is exciting. There's very passionate. Uh, angles on both sides. There's footage. People are breaking it down. Like I said, like it's frame 313 from the JFK assassination. What happened? Where the bullet go was? Is there a T in the ground? Is there not a T in the ground? At what point was this said to the marshal? Was that said to the rules of it? There's all kinds of shit going on. So we're going to break it down. We're going to react to it. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. A couple very quick housekeeping items. Tommy Fleetwood. So uh, our Tommy Fleetwood first tailor-made video coming out Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on our YouTube channel. That's that's tonight. You're right. That's a very good point, Frankie. That is tonight. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, real quick. It's not tonight for everyone. True. Because you could be in L.A. Or Australia. Or L.A. It comes out at like 9 o'clock, does it not? Well, I said 8 Eastern, but... 
in terms of tonight, you're right. You're right. The podcast, Jake puts it up at like midnight Eastern. So you could be listening to this at like 9 p.m. Monday. Correct. You'd be like, well, I got two hours. It's going to come out. So that would Some be- guy messaged me and was like, every time you guys say the whole tomorrow thing or tonight thing, it always throws me off because it's, oh, I always listen to it to the day you guys record it. So like I'm in the same boat as you where it's like you're yeah. trying to promote stuff tomorrow, today. Oh, this new oh. video came out today. I'm listening to it now, which is yesterday. I would tell that fucking guy, Frankie, next time he reaches out to you, I would say, you know what? I, the way I would look at it is this is a Tuesday release show. And every time you get to listen to it Monday night, we're actually doing you a huge favor of releasing it early. Yeah, so I, I told him to lick my grundle, but I'll go for the other. No, I actually didn't even answer him. But um, no, I thought it was interesting. What I was trying to say. So I thought it was interesting, and I think that we should. Uh, you know, we have probably a lot of people in the West Coast, and I mean, really every other coast aside from ours that listen to it not at midnight on Eastern time. <laughs> Anyways, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, YouTube. Nice. We're going to be in there. We're going to be in the chat. Tommy Fleetwood. We've had one interaction with him before, which you may remember from Pebble Beach. People have wondered. They've been curious. How will the next time that these guys see this superstar in the world of golf, Tommy Fleetwood, how will that go? You get to check it out uh, tonight or tomorrow, depending if you're on the West Coast. Uh, it's a really good video, by the way. It's, it's, awesome. um, it's super informative. And also just makes you, whenever I watch Barstool videos with celebrities or athletes, it makes me have a newfound respect for them. And I also feel like I know them. And I think you get that vibe from this Tommy Fleetwood video. It's like 13 minutes or so of us just hanging out with Tommy Fleetwood, learning how to hit bunker shots. And he is like the best strokes gained from bunkers in 2019, whatever the stat is. Like he's a guy that you want to listen to. And I think everyone watching it, we'll get that feeling of like, oh shit, man. Like Tommy Fleetwood is one of us. Like he's just a really cool guy. And then also you'll get so many tips and tricks and, 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 and tricks of the trade from this video. I mean, I thought you were going to get stuck there. Well, I I tried to think of a third one that didn't have anything to do with the word tricks, but I couldn't think of a third saying. Okay. You'll get so many of these little trinkets. Nope. That's like a, a trinket's like a little fucking Barbie doll, right? Like a Maybe little trinket of tidbits. Tidbits. Fuck. Yeah, man. That's not even close. Trinkets. Trinkets are not even close to tidbits. It's insane, but kind of close to tidbits. You can see where I got mixed up there. Ooh, I, you know what? You kind of in the same like, universe you, as tidbits. You are, you're brave for going back in when you couldn't think of it the first time. You know, <laughs> Yeah, you get a lot of trinkets out of it. It's like trinkets. Um, you'll get a lot of tidbits from fucking Tommy Fleetwood, and I think that you're going to be hitting your fucking group chats. You're going to be saying, "Look at this tip. Uh, you got to do this when you're up against a wall and, and you're playing this style of golf course." Really cool video. I'll be in the chat. You guys will all be in the chat. I think that we're going to get a lot of views on this one. I think this thing is going to en- exit our little community, and it's going to get into the real golf world where. We may not have as much of a stranglehold on like the people that got mad this weekend. That is the people that are going to really enjoy this video because it's golf. It's real golf. This is a lot of golf shit in this video. Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time on our YouTube page, uh, the Barstool Classic. So the Barstool Classic, uh, we're going to have updates probably in the next couple weeks. We're working on booking the last venues, but to give you a rough outline of what to expect, uh, 26 stops. Top four teams from each will go to a four-ish day championship at Pinehurst Inn 
November. So if you want to get ahead of the game, go ahead and maybe book, uh, start looking at your off time, save a couple days for November. And uh, we're going to be hitting 26 different stops, probably around somewhere between 15 and 20 different cities. We're going to double up in a few cities. So it's a massive undertaking, scheduling, booking, contracts, all of that, trying to schedule it around when we're filming, when we're covering major championships, and when we're doing what we do day in and day out. So we're working on it. We're going to have those updates very soon. Uh, I'm playing in the Waste Management Phoenix Open Pro-Am on Wednesday. I wanted to make a bigger deal out of this, but it's pretty much neutered because of COVID, which we all understand. It's a bit of a shame. Uh, there's no caddies. You got to, like, ride. Uh, I think you have to ride in a cart with, like, a divider, and you have to wear a mask whenever you're not hitting a golf ball. Uh, I don't think they're allowing very many fans, maybe a couple thousand total. So how many are actually around the 16th hole and whether that creates an environment for good footage? Um, we'll kind of play it by ear in real time. I wanted to do a whole thing where like, what am I going to shoot? What's, what am I going to make on 16? But again, it's been a little bit neutered. So I'm going to try to create and put out as much as I possibly can from that. Uh, but I just don't know exactly what the vibe's going to be yet. There will be obviously a shot on 16. We will record that, whether there's fans or it's just – a pretty standard part three in the desert. We don't know yet, but we'll try to figure that out. It is, it is a real shame. COVID obviously uh, it's, it's been bad for everyone, but this part here, like if you would, if you had said to Riggs and I, when we first started this, like what's the coolest thing, what's the coolest piece of content that you could get out of the golf world at this time, if you're thinking about it. And it would be one of us hitting a tee shot on 16 with the crowd going crazy during the pro-am. Like we've all seen the videos from the past. Sometimes they have a robot out there who will hit a tee shot. People go crazy for that. But like that would have been as big as it gets, like on that stage in front of that crowd who is largely our crowd. That, that 16th hole is full of our fans. And to have one of us out there hitting a tee shot, like that would have been the mountaintop for this podcast at the beginning. And now you're getting the opportunity and it's just going to be so different. It is. It's a little bit of a bummer. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go out there, boys. I'm going to put on my best, you know, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to be smiling. I'm going to be making friends, everybody you see so that we in the future get invited back. Yes. So that when this world has defeated the coronavirus and the world's a little bit more normal, we can get out there and do the damn thing. But regardless, I'll be there Wednesday. So, you know, pay attention to social, whatever's going on. I'm going to try to capture as best as we can. Uh, there was a fuck counter. But uh, a guy emailed my uh, the foreplay email account, and he said, um, I was counting the last show because you guys say it so often that Frankie uh, said the word fuck 46 times, and I Whoa. said it 27 times. And he j- he wasn't rude about it. He just said, it's, if you guys could try to not say it as much, maybe that, that would make the listener. Did Lord can I have none? Maybe you just didn't register. Like, you guys were – uh, earthquake below sort of the whatever meter where it just didn't register on their system. Yeah. So he didn't count you guys now. I got something to say to this guy. <laughs> I know where you're going to go. <laughs> Fuck you, bro. All right? Like, honestly, I know it. Like, I also say like too much. I noticed that every time I listen back to some shit, I'm saying the word like a lot. I'm trying to eliminate that, which I can't. I'm like a fucking sorority girl. Um <laughs> Yeah, man, I definitely do drop the F-bomb a lot. It's just a crutch word, which is odd because, like, I don't usually – there's another like. Just, I'm just going to stop talking. I, I'm tr- I, I'll try – 26 isn't – not or 27 isn't – I say it a lot too. So it's a crutch word for me, especially I notice I say it when I'm really trying when – I'm, when I'm close to forming my little phrase that I want to drop, but I'm not fully there. Fucking... It kind of buys me a little time. So, I, so yeah, I'm, I'm – 
we're working on it. We're trying to be as best an audio podcast we can, but also if that's uh, a large issue for you, you can go fuck yourself. That's yeah. Probably- little kids listening to it. I don't know, man. It's like why it's a fucking barstool podcast. <laughs> what do you think the youngest age is that listens to this podcast? I, I, that, that, they're legitimately not like, oh, the dad's driving to work and there's any of the kids in the car. Like, if somebody goes to the foreplay of Spotify or iTunes and they say, I'm going to listen to this Tuesday or Thursday show. It's 12-year-old Pete, for sure. Oh, yeah. I think 8-year-old Blake, that Hawaiian kid, he – I feel like he knows inside stuff. Now, his parents do run his Instagram account. Yeah, I, I get, like, messages from them. So, somewhere between 12-year-old Pete and 8-year-old Hawaiian Blake. You guys are poisoning the youth. Ah. <laughs> or, Trent, we're toughening and preparing them for the real fuck, world. Fuck, fuck. Or you're, which it, this is what I would say is you're normalizing curse words, which I think should be a thing in society. Once it's a get, word. Like, I wish broadcasters on, you know, ESPN, CBS, all those guys, like, I wanted, like, Nick Faldo wanted to say as many curse words as he could on Saturday because he was furious at Patrick Reed. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't because he's on CBS. But, like, I think we should normalize swearing to the point where you can say it on a, on a sports broadcast. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But we're not there yet. And, unfortunately, I think that that would be an issue for people like 8-year-old Blake, maybe his parents. Then, again, they are fa- – I always kind of wonder if – which is – it's very uh, – it's a little bit contradictory. But I do wonder, like, are young kids that like our show, are their parents – like, are we supposed to look at their parents like, you shouldn't be letting them listen to what – what we do like is that a dude athletes say this all the time they're not role models they're fucking athletes and if you think i'm gonna roll my life like this like i'm gonna think i'm some sort of role model for eight-year-old blake that's sitting out there in hawaii hitting chip shots listening to foreplay thanks for the download thanks for the listen i hope that kid turns into a professional golfer because he's an unbelievable golfer on on social media for eight years old however old he is but if he can't hear the word fuck, this ain't the show for you, man. It's just you're, you're not there yet. This is TVMA. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, bro. Yeah, you're you're that classic Charles Barkley Nike commercial. I am not a role model. I'm a podcaster that that looks really shitty, has bad complexion. I, I can't fucking do anything with my skin. I'm skinny, but I'm also fat. My face is getting big. I'm sorry. I'm not the person to look up to when it comes to anything in life. Now it's just eight mile. Now we just turned it eight mile, but that's okay. The The point is I'm with you. We'll try a little bit, but not that hard because it's not that big of a deal. And if you don't like the upward, this probably isn't the show for you. We'll do our best. Um, I saved Dartmouth golf. So I don't want to get into the whole thing on this show because I want to have some of the folks from Dartmouth golf. The coach reached out a bunch of players from the team reached out crazy story. Global golf post posted the whole thing on, I think it was Thursday and it's a wild story. I was bored on a flight from Atlanta to Phoenix, which is like a four-hour flight. Read the story. Had a very good friend submitted it to me. Like, you're going to love this story. Read it. So I'm on the, on the flight. Tweeted a couple things about it because I was very heated. It's a ridiculous story. I mean, we all at some level, high school, college, whatever, played, uh, you know, organized competitive sports. That's like your life. That's all you think about. That's what you dream about. You, you chat, text with the boys, with your crew. That's what you work towards. You have these visions of be better. And it's the same with uh, like with the Dartmouth golf program. And they had like the most, uh, one of the most, I think they were like the men's team and the women's team were number one or two. And then number four in terms of like most diverse programs on all of campus. 
Uh, there's only like eight people on the whole damn team uh, between each team. So it's not like it's that many people. And they had 45 minutes notice before a Zoom call. And then they were told on that Zoom call with like the athletic director that their programs were just canceled. They were just gone. They're just discontinued, uh, which is psychotic. They had all this work. And it was also the uh, swimming and diving and like the lightweight crew. So there's five programs gone. Then the alumni crew from the uh, golf. So it was like friends of Dartmouth golf. They came up with all these proposals and they took the high road and they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to allocate like millions of dollars for unrestricted financial aid, which means like Dartmouth, we're raising all this money and you can use it however you want. You can fund fucking academics. You can fund research. You can do whatever you would like to do. Help people get into school from foreign countries, like whatever you want to do. We just want the golf programs reinstated. Dartmouth said no. So eventually it gets to the Global Golf Post who writes this article so I started tweeting up a fucking storm about it less than 24 hours later, athletic director, who, by the way, I have to say, one of the best chirps I've ever heard. They called this guy. He played at Williams. He played like football at Williams, which is D3. Dartman's D1. And everybody behind this guy's back called him D3 Sheehy, and they didn't yeah. like the guy. Oh, man. Every time I read it, I laugh out loud. But anyways, this fucking guy, I couldn't tell if he like retired or whatnot, but he was the worst. He's like the villain in the story. Ultimately, the athletic program, literally the next morning, less than 24 hours later, contacts the players, the golfers, and announces that they're reinstating the five programs and that they're just back. So we are going to have – I want to get the full story because it's crazy. It's like they're on Zoom calls. They ask the guy, like, what do we have to do? What, what, are, what is the main reasoning that this actually you cut our programs, not these other programs? And the answer was like, we can't tell you. And it, it was just crazy, the fucking story. There was one where this other uh, alumnus donated $600,000 for a van for like this awesome like Dartmouth golf van because they travel all over like the Northeast to go to these tournaments and to go to practice. So it's just, and they, then COVID hits and they never got to use the van. And now the van's just gone. Like nobody knows where the van is. So it's like this fucking alumnus who loves Dartmouth golf. That's his, his donut. So now then he had like severed ties with the university. and was like, fuck Dartmouth. So it's a wild story. Anyways, now they're back. They're all thrilled. I'm getting emails and DMs left and right from every member of the team. It's like, you're a hero around here. So we don't have to get into that right now. It's not that important. We'll get into it another show because I want to do what it's due diligence. Where's that van? Where's that van? And you know what, Riggs? So sick. I got to send you guys a picture of that. Good on you, Riggs. Someone's got to look after these Ivy Leaguers, you know? It's good that someone has these Ivy Leaguers back for once in their life. A lot of bad things happen to these guys. It's good to stand up for those guys. And I'm I'm proud of you. Now, there's a misconception here that (laughs) just because you go to an Ivy League school, all of a sudden you're like super wealthy. These are just fucking freshmen. I know. It's just a joke. They work their asses off their whole life. I know. They might come from nothing. A lot of them are from like Asian countries who got out and like they're, they just get Dartmouth golf cut out. So I get that optic. It it was just a joke. I I agree. It's fucking bullshit, especially if the money's there. It's getting allocated somewhere. How do you not just like allow these people to play the sport that they came there to play the whole thing? I think it's good that it was saved. I think that whoever was wronging them has now been exposed. And that's a really good thing. I, I don't like the Sheehy guy. I'm glad that he's probably squirming in his little pants. D3 Sheehy is squirming. He lost. He's a loser. And that's a good win for the good guys. How's that for Where's that van? Where's that van? Someone needs to answer for that. Wait till you see this fucking van. Um, okay. Oh, large. Just There's no out. way anyone conducts real business and any real money is spent from an actual consumer and a product standpoint with that background. There's no way 
that someone takes you seriously in the middle of a fucking Star Wars set. That's such, like, that's a ridiculous set. How could real money be spent? But you're in front of a J.J. Abrams version of the fucking Star Wars galactical at whatever. Like, it's crazy. Dude, our founder just loves it. So <laughs> it's insanity. Got all these backgrounds and like during the virtual world, it's like a little, I don't know, office. But, dude, I will say Axon is like thought to be like a, you know, a thought leader in the space and super, <laughs> like super involved. In <laughs> what? You can't listen a to A thought leader the in the space. You're using words. Listen, I like Axon. I like Josh. I sometimes like you. And they I like drones. Say- they also support Barstool. Yeah, I like Axon. I just don't like the, the jargon. Taser is um, one of the um, – it is the presenting sponsor of Dave Portnoy's show. Dude, Taser is a sick company. I actually got into a nice little debate with, like, friends about if Tasers should be, like – like, people should be using Tasers in everyday use. and like Axon logo. I got my mask. I think the answer is yes. Look at that thing. It's a sick logo. It is a good logo. Um, it's like um, Zeus. Wait, what was the question, Frank? Sorry. No, I, I just think like, like, like if people should be like walking around with tasers in their back pocket or like or women should be having them in their in their pocketbook. And like, I think the answer is yes. It's a really safe way to get like whatever's about to happen to you not happen to you. Like it's you're not fucking shooting someone in the head. You're like right. stunning them. You're getting them away. You get you have a chance to run. I think like every single girl in college campuses and I mean if they can make it for guys to be able to wear in their pockets, I don't know how small they are, but it's a good company. And there's a reason why it's exploding. Tasers are fucking yeah. rock. I mean, shit. well, the number one is to law enforcement too. So it right. like offers a less lethal way to potentially engage, which is totally. massive. Love law um, enforcement. Huge fan. But you know, let's, let's talk about virtual reality training and uh, the drone side of the house. Cause that's what I care about. <laughs> the drones are yeah. what keeps the lights on. You said a thought leader in the space. Yeah, oh. you said thought leader in space. Dude, but, um, Rick, the the CEO Rick is he is though. I mean, like people look at him like he's, like he's a, Dave Portnoy of that world. Like he is above. Oh, him. He gets but people like, so fired up about. Does he? Like, he's a swinging and doing right. or something. Don't say he's a thought leader in the space. That's does, like, I just read a banner when I walked into a fucking convention. Uh, and I want to kill myself. Does he? Now. Does he do keynote speeches? Like, does he? Does he go up there with a clicker? He does. So wow. get ready for this. He put, he did the last one virtually. So they paid for like somebody to walk around in this suit, but then it had an iPad to walk around and the wow. iPad was Rick's face and he, was, awesome. he did it somewhere oh, else. God. It was so good. What's this guy's name? Rick Smith. I like that's that. Sub, that's sus. I'm into that. The iPad, the fake body walking around like it's him with his iPad as his fucking head is awesome. I'm into that. This incredible. Guy. This guy's great. Oh, Rick's no, he's the real deal. I, yeah, he's I, the real I, deal. I do like that we're now talking about uh, our buddy, like Josh's, like CEO and his company and Lurch's company. We love Axon. This isn't even an ad read. We're just Axon Taser. They're great. It's just funny and very anti what we do when you appear in a spaceship and we're trying to do our show. Totally yeah. agree. I mean, I change it out every time because <laughs> I try to avoid like that Frankie comment where he just goes berserk over like a little detail that actually no one, since it's an audio podcast, really sees. We're on YouTube. Then, it's a really good platform. I know we like, are too, Frankie. God, you're such a little nitpicker. For, talk the about the amount that you hate like nitpickers and getting it rules, you are that person. I'm a flip flopper. I'm always I'm a roller coaster, bro. <laughs> That's I have no backbone. I have no backbone. It's it's just. <laughs> 
No, I get it. it's it's weird to talk golf when you're spinning around the Millennium Falcon and we're trying to talk about like Patrick Reed's rule. I'm just 100%. genuinely curious that real life business is conducted like it's Mickey Mouse land. Like I just can't <laughs> like real money and convert. Like how can anyone take you seriously talking about selling these drones to police departments? Like they're gonna be like, dude, you, can you just get on that little spaceship you're on? Like what's what's uh, look, going on here? But perfect timing. <laughs> Perfect timing. We're just about to get into Mr. Patrick Reed and things that occurred at Torrey Pines Golf Course out uh, near the San Diego, California area. Before, Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom, just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh, I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Tory Pines this past weekend. Patrick Reed wins by five. He takes home $1.35 million. It is his ninth win on the PGA Tour. He, of course, has proven himself as a USA Ryder Cup menace to the european team he's shushing people he's raising the roof he's holding out from fairways he also is your 2018 masters champion he declared himself six years or so ago now a top five player in the world when people didn't know who the fuck he was and now he has emerged this past weekend as probably a Bryson level to me, Bryson level. And I did a little Frankie right there with my voice. It felt kind of good. I would say a Bryson level compelling story. Anytime he is in the news and you start, and I would, I would describe it like anytime I'm scrolling through Twitter and there's a golf tournament going on and all of a sudden Patrick Reed's name starts flying around all over the place. It is instantly turn on your television figure out what the fuck's going on, watch the video that people are breaking down, see all of golf Twitter, all of sports Twitter's reaction, and try to understand what's going on with Patrick Reed. It all began this past Saturday on the 10th hole at Torrey Pine South course. It included the rules infraction, potentially that people were, uh, were going nuts about, that were losing their minds about, that were screaming cheater. It involved Use Golf Facts, one of the best Twitter accounts ever created, which is, of course, Justine Reed. It was maybe 99.9% confirmed. Now it's 100% confirmed because not only did Use Golf Facts get in the mix and tweet in all caps about 10 to 15 times, Roy McIlroy did the same thing today at hole 18, picked up his ball, cleaned and everything, and didn't even call a rules official over to deem the ball embedded. End of story. But tweeted that in a classic Dave Portnoy move from Patrick Reed's <laughs> official account on accident. So this story then... The and next kept morning, it on her own account. Yeah, then kept it. None of it's been deleted. Then the next morning, another video emerges about Rory. So we're going to break all that down in detail. But boys, I have to say, I think we haven't really talked Patrick Reed in a long time. And it feels good. But the Reeds just bring the heat when it comes to drama in the golf world like probably nobody else right now. We're talking about leaders in the space and and we're talking about Bose and we're talking about Axon and all these companies. He this family, the Reed family, is a leader in the content space, the the, the on course within a professional sports arena space. They just drum up a lot of content, a lot of controversy, and they really don't do much like to really like ignite it. It's something right. that it's something that's so simple as like 
a face that he makes or a piece of sand that he gra- that he grazes. Something about Patrick Reed just gets people really angry, riled up. And I know the answer is that he cheats and stuff and, and bends the rules and all that stuff. But a lot of people bend rules and they find themselves in situations where they cheat or do whatever. They learn from their mistakes. They move on. The whole world accepts it. For some reason with Patrick Reed, he either doesn't learn from his mistake. This is my whole take on it. He either doesn't learn from his mistake. He has the yips because so many people won't let him like off the hook that this is his this is his being. This is his whole reason for being on this earth is to cheat the game of golf and the integrity of the rules and the people, the good people of Scotland that that they all walked the hills and the prairies and the whole thing and they learned this great game of golf and he is disrespecting them and pissing on their graves. They won't let them, they won't let him out of that circle. So he can't, he can't avoid himself. I think I'm leaning towards that part that Patrick Reed can't get out, get out of his own way. He falls into controversy even when he doesn't want to be in it. Right. That's the fascinating part. And Riggs, you compared Patrick Reed to Bryson DeChambeau. And the difference between the two of them is Bryson lights those fires on purpose. Patrick Reed, he just sort of exists. And the way that he is and the way that Justine is, they just, it may not happen as often as Bryson because Bryson does it on purpose. But when you get a Patrick Reed controversy, there's really nothing sweeter. And we can get into the specifics on whether we think he cheated, what we think actually happened. Obviously, the Rory stuff becomes very interesting when you intertwine it with the Patrick Reed stuff. But just the Patrick Reed experience and everything that comes along with that, which very much includes uh, Justine Reed and use golf facts, like their controversies are better than the Bryson DeChambeau ones because they're genuine and they come out of nowhere and they just light the world on fire and everything around them. Lurchy? Yeah, I mean, you guys are all spot on. I mean, I, I think that if I was going to boil down Trent's favorite golfer since he's a storyline guy, I mean, it might have to be Patrick Reed at the top because when it goes off and when he's under the spotlight, there's maybe no better storyline than P. Reed and use golf facts because they are – if you're going to say controversy and Patrick Reed, you have to include used golf facts because she is at the core of moving the social world when she jumps on. I mean, her tweets are laugh out loud funny. Um, she's so unapologetic. And it just, it's it was great to watch. I mean, I will say on the backside of that, there was no person more caught in the crosshairs than Victor Hovland when he picked up his ball late in the day on Sunday. And when he dropped it, it kept rolling into the hazard. And then he tried to place it, rolled over. When he plucked it up and looked around, was like, did I screw up too? Like that looked like a guy that knew about everything that was going on. Let's actually get into this though, because I know we say on this show a lot, and I am a headlines guy. I love Patrick Reed in that regard where just you don't know what's going to happen. Justine Reed used golf facts. But let's actually get into the specifics because I think people will want to know. Like, yes, we love storylines. We are on a golf podcast. We this storylines drive this thing. And the, the more controversy and the more headlines there are, regardless, negative, positive, that's a, a good thing for us because we have something to talk about. But I do want to get more into the specifics about do we think Patrick Reed cheated? What do we think happened if he didn't cheat? And then let's also talk about the Rory thing because, yes, we're storyline guys, but I do think people want to know what we think actually happened. Yeah, so let's set the table here real quick. Uh, First, golf is clearly an extremely unique game in that it's self-policed, that 
you know, 90% of the time golfers are out there in competitive golf, even on the PGA tour. And really nobody's watching. They're not really on camera. You can't watch every second. You don't have a ref necessarily like you do in football or hockey. Who's supposed to be watching the puck at every second. They can call over a rules official, but again, minute by minute decisions, decisions are just being made on the golf course that have to be up to the honor system because once that breaks, the whole system breaks down and you're going to have to have like, you know, laser measurements all over the course to understand if people are ever breaking rules or not. You can't do that. It's not feasible. So it's based on the honor system in football. Somebody might get tackled once they're down, they're clearly down. They might stretch the ball out and try to get a couple extra yards. So they get a favorable spot from the ref. That's fine in football because that's a different game. That's what it's measured by. That's the spirit of the game. It's fine. Everybody accepts it in golf. That ain't the fucking case in golf. Golf, you try to gain an illegal advantage, you are deemed a cheater and you are chastised in the entire golf world forever. VJ Singh in 1985 playing on like the Asian tour was accused of cheating. And everybody to this day looks at VJ Singh, uh, especially like, you know, go, woke golf, all those people as a cheater. He can just never shake that label. So you have Patrick Reed, who has a long history of this going back to in college. Reed led Augusta State to two NCAA Division I national titles in 2010 and 2011, he started at Georgia and he got kicked off of the team because he was accused of cheating and stealing from his teammates. He, out of the PGA Tour, Peter Costas, has accused Patrick Reed. He said three or four times now he has seen Patrick Reed improve his lie, usually by taking three or four different clubs, trying to act like he's deciding what he's trying to do out there. Is he going to hit a nine iron? Is he going to hit a four iron? Is he going to hit a three wood? Next thing you know, his ball went from in a hole to fluffed up on the top, and he rips a three wood onto the green from 250 yards. He obviously, at the 2000 and I believe 19, 2019 Hero World Challenge, had the incident where his ball's in a shit lie in the bunker. He's scooping behind it with the fucking club. <laughs> Sand disappears, and all of a sudden, Patrick Reed's got a great lie. People were throwing shovels at him, yelling cheater at the uh, – at Kapalua, the next the couple months later, he got roasted, led to Kessler Corain, uh, trying to punch a guy in the crowd in Australia because things got so heated. Fast forward now, here we are, Tory Pines, Patrick Reed, top 10 player in the world, playing great. He's uh, in the final group, he's in the lead, hits a bunker shot on the 10th hole left. He can't see it over the lip. His playing partners, he goes over to find in the rough, says to the uh, volunteer who's right there, uh, did it bounce? Volunteer says, no, I didn't see it bounce. No. Patrick Reed goes, okay. And then he says to his playing partners, Hey, I'm going to check, um, and see if this thing's embedded, which by the way, is very normal practice. They were playing, um, lift clean in place, uh, a couple days, I believe at least, um, on, in the fairways. And then it's soggy everywhere. So it's actually pretty natural. A lot of people were curious about this. Like, why did he lift his ball? You can never move your ball. You have to play it as it lies. That's actually not true. A competition, especially he marked his ball. He lifted it out of the ground. Now you're not able to right then change the condition of the ball, AKA you can't clean it. Like if it's got mud all over, whatever, it hasn't been deemed embedded yet. So he's holding the ball. People were upset that it looked like he put it in his palm at the time. Brandle, you're, uh, saying, you're saying Brandle was upset. That's Brandle was so mad about the palming of the ball. And I, I, I can't say one way or the other, but Brandle on the Golf Channel broadcast was like, I've never seen somebody palm a ball like that. He could be cleaning it. I'm not saying Brandle's wrong. I'm just saying that was a big sticking point for Brandle where usually if you're going to pick up a ball like that, you hold it with two fingers and you put it down almost immediately where Patrick Reed held it, put it in his palm, and Brandle seemed to be worried that he was cleaning off anything that might have been on it. Yes. So Reed, you know, he, he 
he removes the ball to check the ground. Clearly, if there's a lip, if there's an indentation that's obviously identifiable, the ball was embedded. If a ball is embedded in its own pitch mark, you then get a club length and you get to clean it and you drop it um, because you can't play for an embedded ever. That's just the rule. And that rule was um, enacted several times throughout the week, including later that same day on the 18th hole, or maybe it was earlier that day. I don't know the exact time, but when Rory McIlroy came through, um, that wasn't in the exact moment relevant. It will become relevant very soon. So Patrick Green then takes the ball out. He says, yeah, I see an indentation. He felt around a little bit as he was going through this process. Now it looked like, is he trying to get the ball out cleanly? Is he changing it? Like what's going on in there? Nobody knew at the time. Anyways, he sets the ball to the side, which again, Usually you just kind of put it back. He then summons over the rules official. He says, I just want to double check. I don't want to do anything wrong. Um, this is what happened. I was told it didn't bounce. Uh, I felt I went to check, which again, you don't have to have a rules official to check. Rory McIlroy didn't have a rules official when he checked. Uh, he then pulls the ball out again, tells the rules official what happened. The rules official right away goes like, oh, the ball's not like, where's the ball? He's like, oh, I took it out and set it down. The rules official, you can tell is a little bit like, okay, that's a little bit of a weird move checks and again there was a tee in the ground you couldn't see the tee on the footage because the grass was too high but at one point if you really pay attention when Rory then or when Reed then goes to show the rules official where the ball was there's a tee right there and he actually pulls the tee out of the ground so he had marked it it was the same spot um in theory so he then uh the rules officials like yep that's a lip that's embedded Reed takes his drop rules official says fine well footage goes out golf twitter loses its fucking mind uh, everybody's screaming cheater. Um, and they're screaming that because footage showed from the replay that his ball actually did bounce. So a ball, clearly everybody can comprehend a ball coming from the sky from an iron or from a driver or whatever can obviously plug. It can embed in the ground, especially when it's wet, a ball that bounces once and then enters the ground from like two or three feet off the ground. Ain't going to plug. That's just like, not, it's just not possible. It doesn't have enough force. Literally, it's the same thing as dropping the ball by the new rules from, like, knee height. That's not going to plug into the ground and create an indentation in the ground. Right. So, everyone's like, well, how the hell could there possibly have been an indentation in the ground if the ball bounced, which we all saw in the footage that it did bounce? So, people putting all those facts together immediately crucified Patrick Reed as a ruthless cheater. Brandon went on Golf Channel. Our friend Eamon Lynch wrote a whole blog about it. People were talking about gambling and about how gambling is going to be affected. A sports book actually did refund every better on golf who did not bet on Patrick Reed to win outright. They refunded all bets. So clearly it was an issue. That's what happened on Saturday. Patrick Reed was confronted about it afterwards, said, look, I did everything by the book. I talked to the rules official. Um, you know, yeah, maybe I should have put the ball right back, but like, uh, I don't even know if he said that maybe he should have put the ball right back, but ultimately didn't do anything technically wrong. He, he marked his ball. He checked it. He determined that it was embedded. He asked a rules official to confirm that it was embedded. The rules official did confirm that it was embedded. He was told by the volunteer standing there that the ball did not bounce. So he had every reason to, based on these facts, assume that it was uh, embedded on its own mark. And therefore, he took a drop, ends up getting up and down, makes par, goes on, of course, a couple days later to win the tournament by five shots. So on those facts alone, before we get into the Rory stuff, general thoughts from the crew. 
Well, first, during one of his post-round interviews, he did admit after seeing the video that there's no way a ball can embed after it bounces, which I thought was a very interesting answer from him. Um, boy, I, where do you where do you start? Like, what do I think actually happened? I, like, if the if the question is, do I think Patrick Reed bent the rules and, and like what? Like, what is he – what's he doing in between picking up the ball and, like, when he's putting his finger in that hole, what's he doing in there? I, that would be – like, and I know – I don't know. Like, I don't know. It, 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 in his brain? What do you mean in there? What are you talking about? So when he like, physically, what's he doing to the ball? Because the ball – like, we all agree the ball couldn't have embedded itself. It bounced. Well, so it was soaking wet that, like, maybe that ground was crazy soft and it could have embedded slightly. Like – if with all the rain this past week, like there's a chance that it still could have um, coming out of the bunker, probably got a ton of spin on it. It could have potentially, but yeah, I would say probably not. You know I mean? Like if I was going to be honest, I would say probably I not. I think most people would say like 0.0000001% chance that that could happen. Yeah. And like, and that again, and this is just going based solely off of, what everyone saw Saturday. And one of my, like one of the things that I tweet was like, you clearly in, in golf, you can't, it's, it's like everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Right. So in theory, like that could have been an old pitch mark that is balling that up in, which is just crazy unlucky for the standard. But like, if it could have happened and the rules officials there and determined that it was a, it was a, there was a lip, then like, you can't penalize the guy. You can't DQ the guy. So sure. But, but trying to decipher and think about, like, what, what actually – what kind of, like, he could have while he – because, again, he – his fingers were finagling around in that ground. They were. More so than necessary. Now, does that immediately incriminate someone? No, of course not. But when you have the track record that we just went through um, and you have a guy in putting his little fucking fingers in the rough and then all of a sudden a ball that most of us agree physically couldn't have embedded is embedded. You wonder, did he push the ball into the ground to create an embedded vibe? Did he, after picking it up, did he, you know, push his fingers into the ground to create a little bit of a lip? Uh, You know, what did he actually just like, did his ball end up rolling into an old pitch mark? Did it somehow like Lurch's theory, like just create, uh, uh, an, an embedded like ball. Who, what happened? Nobody knows what could have happened. I mean, we're going off probability for sure. I mean, like I think OJ told a story where he found his ball in the trees teed up. Like, yeah, I mean, I would call him like you're probably cheating, but like again, you can't prove OJ it. doesn't have the best track record. Well, no, he doesn't. There's a, yeah, so I guess that's all the names to throw out. I felt my my stomach sink to my balls when you said OJ. I did not know where the comparison was going. So yeah, there's a story in an argument about where he found his ball in the trees and it was teed up for him, and he told his playing partners, "No, that's just how he found it," which is absurd on thirty thousand levels. I think, and I put this on my story. I just think Patrick Reed's biggest problem was you got to go in like you got to try to deal in a hundred percent. So like, if you think there's a chance that it wasn't embedded, you certainly in my eyes cannot pick up the ball, move it, and then ask the rules official to come over and be like, yeah, you feel that embedded Mark? Like, no, they're just going to, you're going to lose people's trust when you do it that way. If Reed just simply said, my ball's embedded. Hey guys, do you mind if I drop, you know, whatever drops, nobody's going to think anything of it. But what do you mean? Wait, what? So I think if Reed says my ball's embedded, 
drops it, on they go. But, how, but, 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 but one thing that's like, in order to check if it's embedded, you have to lift it. You can really see, like, I feel like a good ball chance. Ball is in like this much rough. I know, I know. know. Unless you lift it. Rory did the same thing. You have to lift it to check. All right, so you lift it, but like, yeah, I guess my thought is him bringing over the rules official after was the point where I was like, dude, nobody's going to like, this is so weird. Nobody's going to trust this now. Um, if he just said like, no, 100%, it was embedded. I picked it up, dropped it, and on we went. I don't think there's a big stir. But the fact that he brings it over the rules official after, there's really nothing for the rules official to check in that very moment. Like the ball's not even in the same spot. Like what is he like feeling for in the rough? There's just nothing there. That's where I'm starting well, to think like, does he have like a guilty conscience or is now he trying to make good because he knows the cameras are on him? Like that's where I get wishy-washy with the whole experience. Well, what I would say is like there's – if if a ball embedded and made an indentation that you can clearly determine your ball was embedded, that's not going to disappear. So like before he checked, he put a tee down right next to it, lifts his ball. Then he says to the rules of it coming over here. So the rules of it can just feel if there was like an indentation or not. So like that to me isn't sketchy. What's sketchy is if you're going to call the rules official over, you should just put the ball back into the embedded spot and be like, this was, this was the exact situation that I arrived to. What do I do? And instead of that, the weird part is calling the rules official over while already having removed the ball and set it. It's like, no, if you've, if you've already made the determination in your head, which you have, cause you literally moved the ball, then why would you need to bring a rules official over? So that part, that part was bizarre. And I mean, it happens pretty quickly. Right. And like, maybe it just wasn't until like, and again, Rory did the same thing, which we're going to get to, which happened without a rules official Rory marked it. He checked it. He then moved it a club length and continued on. And that was it. So, so what's, what's really killing Reed is obviously he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt from people because of his track record. And there was just enough from the footage sketchiness going on of like, what are your fingers doing in the rough? Why are you palming the ball? Shout out Brandel. Why did you then just like place it over by your bag on the grass instead of putting it immediately like right back in the spot where it was when you walked up. So those like those things immediately just make it with Patrick Reed's background, a little sketchy. Shall I take your order or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry. I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. Um, I have a couple thoughts on it. And So, do I hate the rules of golf? Yes. Like, I've always said that. I think the fact that we play a game in which Patrick Reed did everything by the book that day and we still are able to have these conversations. Like it is a game of honor. I understand like all this stuff that you can't police it the way you police a hockey game, football game, baseball game. There's not these white lines that go from home plate to the foul line. And then the whole thing. And like, it is out of bounds or it isn't someone has to police themselves. Um, do I think Patrick Reed um, deserves the benefit of the doubt? 
Oh, probably not at this point. Like this guy just refuses to learn from his, his mistakes and he finds himself in these situations where like, dude, like the, you can't correct the past. You can only keep moving forward. And like, when you know that you are known as this guy, you have to take extreme caution in every single situation. It sucks. You are in a different position than everyone else on tour. That is not fair, but it's also the bed that you've made yourself and you have to then sleep in it. Like, like because he's never once shown remorse for it, ever. Every single time he's ever gotten caught for doing this, he's been like, no, I didn't. Like, well, it's like on TV that you took the, 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 the sandbag. And he's like, no, I didn't. Like, you can't say no. Like, say okay. I, dude, people like Brandel and Eamon and all these people have been like, if he would just say I'm sorry, no one would give a fuck. Like, oh, fuck. Like, I kind of, like, fucked up here, guys. Like, well, let's just move on. I'm never going to do, like... He never once does that. Like, even in his post-presser with Balionis, he's like, he's got that Patrick Reed smile and his teeth are together. And he's like breathing in through his closed teeth. And he's like, everything about him just like, oh, I don't like this guy on TV right now. So everything he says, I don't believe. I think I take all that into account. And, I, and then I see the situation that unfolded on TV with, with his fingers in there. And I do think he's a guy that was like trying to do it by the rule. Like I think he like knew the way to do it with the T to reach in, tell his partners. I thought what everyone saw on that elongated scene that they finally tweeted out, like the PGA tour, everyone was like, Oh my God, this is it. This is the, this is the proof he's done. I thought that actually helped him a little bit more than the, the short snippet of stuff that we originally saw because he literally asked the person who was standing three feet away, like, did this thing bounce? That lady's out to lunch. She's like, no, like, you're wrong. Like, you're just, you're the most wrong person in this whole scenario. That, 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 that lady is just like out to lunch. Like, what is she doing? Um, the volunteer, hate to hate on the volunteer, but like, like, thanks for your, thanks for your time and effort, but like, come back next year with like, just a new set of eyes. Like, it bounced right in front of you. Um, he, he did everything by the book and then he just got weird. And I think that's who he is. He's just, he's got the yips with it. He's like midway through that scenario. I genuinely think Patrick Reed's like, ah, fuck. Like I'm in a situation here where someone may find this weird. Let me get this rule official over. The guy's like, where's the ball? He's like, it's over here. It's just a very weird scenario. It almost feels like a guy that's like trying to say he's not drunk, but he's like a little drunk. He just like was stumbling. Like, ah, you know, the ball's over here. It was just very weird. I don't think Patrick Reed like actively tries to cheat his way to championships and and wins. I, I, I just think he finds himself in, in fucked up situations. And then when he does do the wrong thing. He never admits it. And that's why he's an asshole. He's just an asshole in that aspect. Like, dude, there's just many, many times where you found yourself in weird, ridiculous, one out of a billion chance scenarios where you probably feel like the world is out to get you, Patrick Reed. And it is because you won't give the world that sliver of just like, like humbleness and humanity that they want. They just want to see you be like, fuck, like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, uh, give me two strokes here, whatever. Let's do you just move think, on. Do you think the bunker incident was like, like, do you think he cheated that? I, like, I don't like, dude, you can only take the guy's word for what he says. He's like, I didn't try and improve my lie there. Like he's like, he says it like, what are you like? I, it's a game in which you have to just accept what the person says. Right. That's why I have a problem with the rules of golf. You have to just accept what he says. 
It is that is the you, most but here, but here, here's what I'm saying though, is Frankie, you're not a rules official. You don't have to accept what he says. Like you can just watch it and determine whatever you want. And so yeah. like my my issue a, a little bit on that is like I think like the bunker incident is pretty cut and dry to me. It's like he literally put his club right behind and just removed the sand. Yeah, I agree with that. So to me, that's just cheating. So Riggs, do you think so you think he cheated? Do you think he knowingly cheated? In in the bunker incident? Yes. I think it's bizarre in that in his brain, in his brain, I think he does justify it. But in yeah. reality, looking at it objectively, he cheated. But I don't think, I genuinely don't think he thinks he cheated. So at that you know point, like, there's yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that. Like, I think, and this is going to. As his defense attorney, then, can't you, like. I'm if glad you cut me off there. Sorry. If, if you're no, no, Patrick, no, I'm happy because I was going to go down somewhere. I okay, good. And if you're on Patrick Reed's defense like team, like can't you be like, well, this game is in that, like these rules are enacted on, on you actually implying that you're trying to gain an advantage. And if you genuinely think that in his brain, he did not try to gain an advantage and he did not try and cheat his way out of that bunker, then you cannot say that he cheated the rules of golf. Well, that seems the way the rules of golf are written, he did not knowingly and willingly try and move that. Right. Piece of sand. Right. I, that's, that's, I think the rules of golf are fucking stupid. There's too many, there's too many of these loose ends and we make too many of these rules up based off what people want to do and what they tried to do. I think there needs to be more cut and dry somehow, some way. If you can't get that, then you can't get mad at a dude lifting the fucking ball out of the ground. If you cannot get the rules to a point in which we have cut and dry rules, you can't touch it in this scenario because of this, then you can't get mad when a guy fucking bends the rules. He's going to be an asshole. That's just how he's been his whole career, his whole life. That's just how he is. Like, that's the rules of golf. And I don't agree with Patrick Reed. I just am sick and tired of everyone getting so, like, holier than thou when you're like, well, you shouldn't know that that part of the rule, you can't do this. Make it the rule then. Hold on. So I think everybody's got a comment on that. I think the one thing, though, that, like, Riggs's point is – so, yeah, objectively, I think he cheated. And then where it gets wishy-washy in golf is, like, does that person, like, know about it? They're going to call it on themselves. And so that's where it's, like, really interesting for me about Patrick Reed and his mindset, potentially, because whether he knowingly did it or not, like, I do agree with Riggs and the fact that his justification in his own brain is wildly different than others. And I think that is like the biggest delta or difference between him and like, you know, the rest of us in the world that are like, no, I mean, like you saw me in the bunker. Like I'm, I don't know if I was like off in left field here, but like, yeah, I like that's, you got me. Like that's cheating. I'm raising my head. Like, cause I we're brushing right over what I said. And I feel like you disagreed with what I said, Larch, about the rule. What this, this rule is is for 120 people in the world why can't you just say you cannot touch the golf ball ever until a rules official gets over there it's not that difficult to get the guy over there it took him two minutes on a golf cart to get there he ended up needing to come over anyway so like, why is there this rule where it's like okay for a guy to check it on his own and it's like well it's because like common practice but your, the rule isn't just for 100. That rule's for everyone that's ever played golf ever. Like that's for. Well, I know, everyone. but like to enact, like it would be easier to en- enact that rule in black and white for the guys that are playing in a tournament, so that that never happens again. Because he's clearly gaining an edge on other people, and that's why people are getting mad. So like just right, but, in that rule forever. But what I would say where it gets tricky, right, is then the other edge of it is like everyone bitches about pace of play. So now it's like anytime someone has a lie in the rough, they're going to wait and call the rules official over. It's like so it, it gets like that's like. 
the reason that they're so nitpicky with the rules is because typically they don't have rules of fishery everywhere and they don't want to. They don't want to like have to stop play all the time to get a rules of fishery every lie. So it gets dicey. And like to defend golf a little bit, like every rule, every sport has fucking rules and people, we don't know what a catch is in football. We still don't know what a catch is in football. People bitch about it every fucking week or they bitch about the touchback rule with a fumble. And it's like every sport has really dumb rules that people lose their fucking minds over offsides. Like people freak out the crease rule in the NHL forever. Like Brett Hall scored a goal that won a fucking Stanley cup by a rule that everyone thought sucked and nobody liked. So like there there's in, in what what's infuriating, I think, and what we haven't necessarily said yet is that like in what everyone's sort of combining to allude to is that at this point, it ain't Patrick Reed's fault. At this point, it's the it's the tour and it's the rules and it's somebody and and Xander Shoffley himself came out and said, like, obviously the talk amongst the boys isn't great, I guess, but he's protected by the tour, and that's all that matters, I guess. So there's this overwhelming thing of the PGA tour doesn't want this guy that's clearly going to be, be has become one of their top players to be known as like a cheater. So they are not enforcing the rules and no one's really enforcing the rules in a case where clearly a guy has shown that he's going to try to get away with them and gain an advantage when he can. And at this point, and this is sort of why my whole stance publicly has been like, if you're not rooting for Patrick Reed to be in contention and win tournaments, then you don't like entertainment because you not, I'm not saying his integrity. I'm not saying he, I want him to be my best friend. I'm not saying that like, if I wasn't in the field, I wouldn't fucking despise the guy I would. But as a person who turns on my television, what Patrick Reed is doing and his ability to in the moments when he is most hated, when there's all this controversy going on, when everybody else would collapse because social media, every fucking article about him is roasting him, calling him a cheater. And then he goes out on Sunday, has the best round of anyone in contention and wins by five. It's like the guy, in, in some ways, it's like he wants to create his own controversy so that he then can go out. It's like when Michael Jordan would make up that people said shit about him so that he would be all fucking furious and go out and put up 60 points because he almost like creates his own negative publicity so that he then can rally around himself and go win. It's crazy. Down. There's yeah. a couple people I really hate in this scenario. One of them's the person that is def- the, the defender of the rules shield who's sitting home watching this golf and is legitimately so mad that that the integrity of the PGA Tour has been has been ripped to shreds by this Patrick Reed fella. Meanwhile, and the only reason I really hate that person is because the the person the people that actually are defending the shield and honor of the PGA Tour don't care as much as you clearly because they're letting this guy get to the point where he can win the golf tournament without any strokes. Uh, taken away from him and they felt that what he did that day was perfectly fine yes it was probably yes it's it's the controversy and and yes it sparked twitter outrage but like they're just fought, fucking fine with it they're like you guys get mad on your own and that's something that xander shopley's pissed about he's like you know he's protected by the tour the other person that i hate is is the, this one tweet was like how many monday qualifiers did this guy play in how, how often has this happened? How far does this go? How deep does this go? Like a tinfoil hat dude. Like, the guy went out and won the fucking tournament. Like, you're, if you're going to start telling me that Patrick Reed isn't this world-class incredible golfer and he's gotten by and gotten to this level and won Monday qualifiers and advanced his professional career because he's, he's improved his lie a couple times, there's no way that that's the only reason why Patrick Reed is a fucking Masters champion and, and Ryder Cup, U.S. Open, uh, Ryder Cup, United States hero like 
This dude's a fucking player. I just think he has the gifts. I think he's an asshole. I want that on record. He refuses to admit when he is wrong. I hate that part of him. I think Patrick Reed's a smug piece of shit that we've all encountered when we played certain like country club esque guys and like these like holier than thou. I'm fucking. I don't do anything wrong. Like, dude, you're doing a lot of shit. That's why you're in all these problems. Let's just fucking reset, Patrick. Like, let's fucking become a human being for a second. He refuses to. He's a villain, and that's why I almost kind of love him. I fucking. He is a Marvel villain that refuses to admit when he does anything wrong and no one can do anything about it because the world refuses to tell him that you've been punished. So who gives a fuck at that point? Like, let's just go along for the ride. Right. No, I definitely wouldn't change anything about Patrick Reed. You can't. I would not do that. The only person who got thrown into the fire faster than that, um, the volunteer was Ken Tackett. They, they had brought him in Ooh. as like the, the, the TV rules official I th- the the broadcast the CBS broadcast started at three. They introduced him at three fifteen. The Patrick Reed thing started at like three eighteen, and they're like, "All right, Jim Nance, like, all right, we're gonna bring in Ken Tackett. <laughs> like, what do you see here?" And like, he's thinking, "I'm just gonna have a normal day. It's my first TV broadcast. This will be fine." And he gets thrown into easily the biggest rules controversy of the year for sure. Dude, I saw his name all over Twitter. He. Like, I was surprised he wasn't trending at some point. That poor fucking guy. Like you said, Trent, first day in the job. You got your new fucking notebook and pens. You're a little excited, a little nervous, and it's just, all right, Ken, two seconds in. What do you see here, buddy? We're going to break this down for the next two years everywhere you go. So that whole part of it. And then on top of that, not only, Frankie, you write that we have this Marvel villain, but the Marvel villain comes with a wife who tweets in all caps using a burner account on Twitter. And then accidentally slips and tweets from the account that she clearly runs, which is the Patrick Reed official account, the same one that tweeted like at uh, at PGA Tour. I can't believe you gave me and my wife seats like right down the line of the game. We paid 650 bucks. We got the same seats as these other schmucks that haven't won as many times we have on tour. Like that's the same person, 100% confirmation, which is laugh out loud funny. This is the same account, by the way, that like goes after Justin Thomas all the time. And that then was going after Rory McIlroy. And at the time, and tweeted it like 15 times, just copy, paste, copy, paste, the same tweet, like 50 times, which by the way, she turned out to be fucking spot on because they're talking about, they're like highlighting these tweets a little bit. You know, the network coverage doesn't know if they should touch that. Like there's this burner account. That's clearly Patrick Reed's wife, but we don't know if it's Patrick's wife. And then, the video finally comes out Sunday morning and it shows Rory hits a layup and it's the exact same scenario. Now, no, did Rory like palm his ball and did Rory move his ball a club length away before he ever actually made a ruling? Like, no, did Rory's ball bounce straight up and come back into his own pitch mark? After you really look at it, it looks like there's a decent chance that it did that. But overall in the, the similar, like everyone had said the, the, that the, uh, that the bullet, like the the evidence, is that the ball did not bounce. And Patrick Reed was basing his decision on that it bounced, and there's no way with physics that it could possibly plug after bouncing. And then Rory McIlroy, the game's most beloved figure, he's candid, he's everybody loves him, he's so honest, he's Rory McIlroy. He's about, the very next morning, footage comes out that he did, for all intents and purposes, the same fucking thing. And it really put people in a blender in terms of what they were going to say. Flowers, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking flowers. I got to tell you, books, the books, 
Uh, we could read the ad copy. That'd be cute and great. But we are actually just talking about these flowers, man. When they come, they will blow your socks off. I'm not necessarily a big plant guy. I'm not a big uh, what a botanist. I'm not a botanist. Botanist, agronomist, the whole deal. You don't have a green thumb? No, no. I got fucking the, the whitest Caucasian thumb you ever seen in your whole life. These books. These things came, and I mean, you know, we get stuff, we do ad reads, we talk about. I open these flowers, said, "Holy shit!" I started sending pictures to my mom. So Valentine's Day is coming up. You if you're on YouTube, you can see them in the background. I don't know if I don't know if these ads play on YouTube, but right. you can see them in the background of Riggs's setup. And here. those puppies have been here. They were in a fucking mail room for five days because I was at Piners. They came the same exact time. These things, they popped out. They said, you know what, Riggs? We want to we emerge. We want to showcase. We want to flaunt in your apartment. So they've been grinding. They, I, bet, I can't even imagine what they looked like on day one when they arrived in my apartment when I was supposed to get them. But books, those guys do not mess around. I don't know what the green thumb people think of when it comes to, like, artificial, like, enhancements with flowers. I don't know if it's, like <clears> – <throat> the MLB writers association that picks people to get to the hall of fame. But all I know is that something's going on with these flowers and I don't know if there's a hall of fame for flowers and they're not going to be allowed in the books people, but they're at, they're adding something to these things because these things pop. They are big. They're colorful. They're, they're, they're vibrant. They're not normal flowers. And I mean, they're real. They're definitely not fake, but there's something going on. I mean, the coloring, everything about these fucking flowers is beautiful. I'm, I'm like actively asking how I can get more for an upcoming day that um, usually you give flowers to a significant other or someone of the female um, sex. Yeah, I'm just digging myself deeper and deeper. But listen, I don't, what I, I don't get is why. Why are you even digging here? Put the shovel away and just talk some flowers. I, 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 I want more flowers on a specific day. Is it February 14th? What's the yeah. day? Yeah. 14th. I, I would like for them to get sent to me on February 14th. Um, that would be nice because they are the best flowers I've ever seen. They are. Well, Frankie, I got good news. You visit books.com, use uh, slash four and use code four. You're going to get 25% off. Oh, baby. Yeah. So you go to B-O-U-Q-S.com slash four, use the code four and you get whatever you would like, which is awesome flowers that we believe should have an asterisk because they're that good uh, for 25% off. So again, you go to B-O-U-Q-S dot com slash four use the code for you get 25 percent off your flowers it was a fun two-step to watch people try to execute they're like well the patrick reed thing we you know he's he's a scumbag but roy mcelroy he's our angel he can never do anything wrong and i will say the thing that i disagree with people about the question when people bring up um would the same thing be happening um if it wasn't patrick reed which we also obviously got an answer when it happened to roy mcelroy at the same time and people are saying oh it's not fair to treat Patrick Reed this way when Roy did the same thing. I couldn't disagree with that more. When you have a history like Patrick Reed does, there's no such thing as fair in the court of public opinion. Like if you've had this track record, then you get blamed for these things. And Roy McElroy, who has a, uh, a stellar reputation and has never had anything like this, when people are going to give him a pass, that's just how the world works. It's not about fair. So if you are, you can't be mad that Patrick Reed is getting this treatment and Roy McElroy isn't when that their, their pasts are completely different. Right. I mean, yeah. Rory was just so assertive about it and he just like believed also that it was embedded. Where with Patrick, you just didn't. Like fundamentally, you just didn't believe that it was embedded. With Rory, he looked at it. Hey guys, I think it's embedded. And maybe it's his, his demeanor. Maybe it's just his history. Maybe it's all that baked into one. 
But you were like, yeah, his ball's probably embedded with Patrick Reed. You were like, I don't think that thing's embedded by any chance. Like that thing's, that thing might be fluffed up before it's embedded. And so, yeah, it was it was interesting. I forget the rules official's name that you said was thrown in the fire. Yeah, he, I mean, and Tackett, he was killed. And then he kept going back to the line of like the NFL says, oh, it's inconclusive. He kept saying, and we're comfortable with this outcome. And we're comfortable with this outcome. And he yeah. like, just that's like the line to just be like, next. We're just going to talk about the next topic. Which... Yeah, there, you, can, you can definitely persecute um, Reed before you do uh, Rory just because of if you like the guy or not. I get that, like, like in the court of public opinion. But you can't get up in arms about the actual act and the actual rule and the integrity of the rule if they both do that. Like, you can't. Reed and the way he handled that situation, you can hate that. But if they both do the same exact thing, you can't get up in arms about what Reed did and be like, well, Rory did it the right way. Like they actually did the same exact thing. So that that bending of the rules is clearly allowed if Rory did it and then Reed did it. So let's just reset there, I think. Well, so what my one difference, and I'll go back to this, is like you calling over the rules official means in some in a piece of your brain there is a level of doubt that you actually think the ball was embedded. The world has, has bestowed no, that doubt on Patrick Reed also, though. And then also, he wa- I think he just wanted that final nail in the coffin of being like, when I get off this golf course and I go talk to the actual rules official, I want to be able to say, I talked to the fucking lady who's out to lunch right. over here. I talked to my people in my group. And then I also brought over a rules official. So... If so facto, I want to win this goddamn tournament because I did everything you guys asked me to do. Well, it definitely puts it on the rules officials. Then up to them to determine whether Patrick Reed did something wrong. I think that's why he did it. That's why I think he did it. I think he did it just to be like, ever. I I am under a microscope, and at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm literally just going to have a rules official here, and whatever is determined, I'm going to play by from this point on. So that at the end of the day, like it's. It's not on me. And honestly, players do that a good amount of time on the PGA Tour. Like, we see them call rules officials over a pretty good amount of the time. And it's not because they think that they cheated. It's just like they just want to make sure because there's 8,000 rules, which Frankie alluded to earlier. Like, there's too many rules. They're too complicated. I, as a golfer now on the PGA Tour, like, I don't know every single rule in the back of my hand. So I'm going to get someone over here who does just to make sure, like, from this point forward, we didn't fuck anything up. So I got a question for the group. Do you think Reed would look better today if he had not called the rules official over than no. what he did. No. No. It's worse. No. It's way worse. It, it'd be his word versus the world, and, no, and the world I, hates I, his word. my crazy brain, I think he would look better in my eyes. If well, he you're was. one of the dumbest people in the world, then. That's... Well, I mean, well, you're just talking. But no, my thought is, you like... You always say that as a response. When someone goes after you, you're like, well, you're just a guy who's talking. Well, he's like, just, yeah, we're talking. You know? nothing coming. Tell us why. Tell us why you feel that way. Tell us why. Because if you like, say, all right, so you punch me in the face. I know that you punch me in the face. I don't need to call over anybody else to say like, oh, this happened. That just is what it is. But like, if you know, if there's any level of doubt, then like, you know, that becomes wishy washy in golf. Like, if you are not certain that's an embedded ball. Like leave the ball where it is. Don't change that. Don't change what is like what is actually that we can review then. Um, but do you, what you don't. I, what I don't think you're grasping is that the embeddedness is under the ground and nobody can see it. So if he didn't bring a rules official over, literally no one else on earth 
would be able to confirm that that ball was embedded. Instead, he now has a literally paid rules official by the PGA Tour, whose job it is to do these things, who determined, yes, that was an embedded ball, you're good. Right, but the rules official couldn't review that actual ball because it wasn't actually in that place where it was before. So he there was a moment when he first walks over the rules official and he's like, where's the ball? And you can right. see like, what the fuck is going on in this murder scene? Like, what, what? Well, I don't have enough of the, of the, but I don't think that outweighs getting the word from the official where he says you did everything right. Right. We're comfortable with the outcome. Yeah, just, how could that scenario that we just laid out be any better by not bringing over that second set of eyes? Hmm. Like he would still have lifted up the ball. It would have still been sketchy. He would have still figured it out. And then, what he sort of like dropped and hit like I just right. had yeah. not- people saying like no hundred percent this is embedded you know and I played it from there like he's I saying think- it's a hundred percent that's why he lifted the ball out of the hole right like he's doing what you said like he 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 showed so much confidence that that ball was embedded that he actually took the ball out set it aside and said like oh yeah this was a hundred percent better I just want to get a double confirmation and like Lurch he's in the final group like everyone was watching on television like it wouldn't have right. so it was made. Like the only other voice in the world that saw or touched the situation was the rules official. Without that, it is purely just Patrick Reed's word versus the rest of the world, which nobody would take now. The world it's hates Patrick his Reed word. and like a rules official, which gives him a ton more credibility. Yeah, I guess my thought is the rules official wasn't able to actually review where the ball laid at that given time. But he wouldn't have been able to if he, whether he called the rules official or not. Like. He had already picked up the ball and placed it somewhere else. You're saying the level of de- you're saying that the the introduction of doubt is like and maybe like him thinking maybe I'm not 100% positive in this yes. is why you would label him guilty. But yeah. had he had so much confidence to just not ke- bring over someone. Right. But I think see like I that's where we disagree, which is right. fine, yeah. but I I genuinely think he showed so much confidence that he actually lifted the ball out of the hole. And was like, I just need that final confirmation so I can get on to the next step. Well, the no, then, that- then he said, we better get a rules over a fi- uh, official over here for this. Like, and that's like, a, I don't know, that's like a level of doubt too. So I, I don't know. I thought his mannerisms and watching in real time was like, he wasn't sure that that ball was embedded, was my takeaway. And whether that's right or wrong is all up for opinion. Here's what's like... How come you can only direct any doubt towards the one single issue of was it embedded or not? Like you can direct the, you can direct the thought of doubt towards 10 different things in that scenario. Like what is the rule? Is it a club length? Is it as close as two? Like him and Rory both ask people, is it, is it nearest point or is it a club length? And then they say like, can I clean it or do I not clean it? So like the, the doubt issue for whatever reason, I don't like, I, you keep only being able to apply that to the embedded part which I don't think is true because like we ask each other all the time, like somebody will say, Hey, these are yellow stakes. Is this like two club lengths on the line or what is this? That doesn't mean like, Oh, Rick's his ball. He's cheating. It was out of bounds. Like, no, I just don't. I'm just trying to clarify real quick. Right. I guess when I was watching in real time, that's like where that's just what I felt in that moment. Like when I was watching it, I was like, it doesn't feel like he's certain <laughs> about it. And that's, that's where I place it. And so, yeah, I mean, there's other things that certainly he asked questions about, but if I was going to like, you know, do a pie chart, for example, of where to place blame in this thing, I would say that most felt like it. I don't know if I trust it. Like he thinks it was embedded or not. That's, 
my opinion. There's a part. There's a part of what you're saying that I've like that I can somewhat understand. Like if I'm on a golf course and I find my ball in, in a ridiculous scenario that like the group may not think that my ball is there, like I'm immediately kind of already thinking I've done something guilty. Like you have that feeling, and then when you ask someone like, "Hey, like I think I found my ball. Where can I put this?" It almost feels like you've done something wrong. So I see what you're saying, where you're like, once he asks the guy, you almost feel like you almost feel like he's trying to cover up or whatever. Cause I felt that on my own where you're like, Ugh, like something must've happened to have my ball here. These guys aren't going to believe this for a second. So I'm going to ask them like, it's that, it's that thought of like, oh, all right, let me bring someone over here because they probably think I'm lying. Right. And there's different avenues of like, how do where do you want to go next? Like was yeah. he Lee doing that because he knows that's in place for him? Because like if I play golf with you or my buddies, like I inherently like trust them. I don't think like they're just like going out there and like lying to me about what's going on with their ball or like trying to gain an advantage. So yeah, some of that goes along with his like name brand. And you know, it's, it's a very interesting. Sucks for him because he's just fucking, it sucks for him. And he also deserves it because he just refuses to ever say that he is the person that who he is. That's the stuff that just drives me fucking crazy with him. His post pressers, like his post round pressers, drive me up a wall and that's like really fun and exciting because i like watching it it made me want to throw up like him talking to amanda balionis and he's just not admitting anything was very very funny and it's something that i think we do need in the game of golf people are going to say that they they want to send to azkaban but those people are muggles and they'll never understand that we need this type of content it is amazing that the virtually the exact same scenario happened to roy McElroy. for that to happen and for that to happen, I think it happened like 20 minutes after the Patrick Reed thing happened. So then, because imagine a world where that doesn't happen to Roy McIlroy, and we're just talking solely about Patrick Reed. He he gets no cover. Everyone is accusing him of the worst things possible. But for that to happen to Rory on the same day, 20 minutes apart, and on a, such a hot topic or a hot button issue, that provides so much cover for Patrick Reed that he should be he should drop to his knees and thank the Lord. Yeah, yeah. He like I'm surprised he didn't start parading that around afterwards and just go hammering that home as hard as possible uh, because it's it's impossible really for people to be like this was so much cheating but this was fine like that's just you could you could pick them apart you could pick the palming of the ball or the moving of it but overall there's just no way that you can point at one and be like totally cheating and point at the other one and be like but that's absolutely fine like it was. It was 99% the same fucking thing and that it was Rory and, and Patrick Reed. It was great. So, um, so it'll be very interesting to see how things proceed from here. Lonto Griffin came out and said that it pisses them off, that that's the chatter. So between those words, Xander's words, Nick Faldo, Brandel, like clearly the golf world is pissed off. They're rattled. Um, well, not, every, should... not everybody's take on the telecast. Riggs, you and I talked about it a little bit, I think, before we start recording, where beginning of the round Sunday, when you they're finally airing it on CBS. Like, all right, we're going to watch Sunday at, at Farmers, and we get 20 minutes of them just jumping around to each broadcaster giving their take. And I get it. Like, they, they finally had a story that was – one of the biggest stories in the country, Patrick Reed Saturday night was the number one trend on Twitter. So people are talking about it. So I understand – the they felt like they needed to address it off the top of the broadcast but them jumping from every single broadcast to the next broadcaster giving a soliloquy about what they how they feel about what happened was insanity 
Dude, it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. And I, and I will say, too, that they were a little bit of a victim of the times in that we had all aired this out for 24 hours straight because of social media, because of Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, whatever you want to say. So, like, we had then been watching Golf Channel where Brandel's breaking it down. So by the time we got to the coverage, it was like, show the fucking golf. Like, we've already done all this, and now you guys are doing it. It's like, no, we've, we've been doing this. Whereas, like, if this was – you know, 15, 20 years ago, and you hadn't broken it all down. You had heard some whispers. Maybe they brought it up on your nightly sports before they do the weather. And you were kind of like, what is all this? And then you got the full breakdown. You'd be like, hell yeah. We had already fucking done that. It's 2021. We'd done it a million times. We just wanted to show the golf. And on top of that, they came on, what, 20 minutes late because of the basketball. So they had the coverage gap. Then you finally get through the coverage gap. You're watching PGA Tour live stream on Golf Channel. It's not even the real coverage. Then they finally come on. You hear whispers again that Patrick Reed made like an eagle and you missed it. And then they go like, Dottie Pepper, let's go to you. And then it's almost like you're watching the fucking Senate where they got to be like, Dottie Pepper from the great state of Texas. What does you say? I say I. And they do the whole fucking thing. You're like, can we just show a golf shot, please? Like, can I? And you just couldn't get a golf shot. It was infuriating. The only, so the only the only way I wanted to hear Nick Faldo would get on it is if he was four or five whiskeys deep. Like I, that's that's <laughs> the Nick Faldo I want to hear. I want to hear that guy's opinion on it because he. I mean, I, at one point during the end of Saturday's broadcast when they were signing off and Nick's giving his thoughts, I thought he was going to, like, loosen his tie and be like, these fucking, this fucking Patrick Reed guy, I can't stand him. Because he clearly is, like, completely out on Patrick Reed and cannot believe the, the black eye that he's put on the game. But other than that, I don't need to hear another rehashing of how they all feel. Especially the Europeans, right? Like they imagine if like Ian Poulter was a little bit dicey with the rules, like how fucking on top of him we would be all the time. Right. And so they like they have such an axe to grind. And now he's like this fucking ridiculous. He's always wearing red, white, and blue now. He's like Mr. He's he's embraced the Captain America. That face too. He like he's breathing in cold air. Like he just like he just ate a ton of gum. And all the air is really, really spicy and sharp. He's like, and it always looks like he's stubbed his toe or something. And you're like, what is that face? It's just a very hateable face. He does it right after it too. Like, Ugh. he's he's an asshole for sure, but Ugh. he's an entertaining asshole. He, he um, he is. And you know, like we, I, I have done whatever three or four times we chatted with him at the U.S. Open, and. He was extremely nice. And there's there's accounts of him being, like, nice. People like – there was when JT was busting his balls at the President's Cup last year when they were in the bunker and he did the shovel thing. So, like, clearly he's got enough personality that, like, people like him in situations. If we see him in a tournament, we get to interview him about how he's doing in that tournament or whatever. Like, we're going to chat with Patrick Reed and we hope it goes fucking well. But ultimately it's getting to the point where it's building so much that it's – it's trouncing anything else that you can address. It's trouncing anything else that you can talk about. It's like so overwhelming about Patrick Reed that you can't talk to the guy as a media figure, whoever, and not bring up like you can't, if you, if you speak or interview Patrick Reed and you don't start with like, are you a cheater? Are you a fucking cheater? Like then you're not doing your job. You're like a scumbag who's enabling the guy. So it's, it's getting to that boiling point and how we're going to address it. Like we're going to be at majors this year and we're going to, you know, Kessler's an awesome guy. Like he's, I know he had the incident, the physical incident and in Australia and like maybe people think, but like Kessler is beloved out there. He's a super nice guy. He was defending his guy. There was all kinds of shit going on. Like Kessler's awesome. Very well liked out there. So like, we're going to see Patrick Reed. Um, I was trying 
ferociously to get him on the show for this. He's flying over to the Middle East, which that's a whole nother fucking story. They're going to Saudi Arabia. But anyways, it's the Patrick Reed uh, saga has just begun. I mean, this guy is only 30 years old. He's going to be around for at least another 25, 30 years if you count the senior tour. And believe me, that guy will go on to the senior tour and clean people up. So the whole thing is going to be um, – it's just – it's very interesting. If you – if we made a list, a wish list of people that we want to interview on this show, I think it goes one, Tiger Woods. I think we'd all agree on that. And then – 1A or 1B is Justine Reed. I want Justine Reed. She's got to be right up there with the number one and number two interview in golf right now. I just want to know what's going through her head. That shit crazy, man. And we could hook her up to a lie detector. That's where she's, she rivals the best interview that you can get. I mean, I think too, she just like, I think she would love to do a podcast interview. (laughs) I think she's stewing at home in fucking Texas and she's just, ready to launch missiles at everyone about everything, about Jim Furyk, about Jordan Speed, about Justin Thomas, I can't about the fucking believe. rules officials, about everybody. I can't believe she tweeted from Patrick Green's account. That is so <laughs> fucking outrageous. That's a culmination of so many years of us and a lot of golf media really alluding that used golf facts and that she's behind his schedule, his money, his decision makings with his family, everything that has to do with Patrick Green's life, that she has been the uh, – Oh, fuck. Is, is it Geppetto? Oh. Is it Geppetto who who who, who puppets Pinocchio? I think you're right. I think, I think it's right. Geppetto. She's Geppetto and Patrick Reed's Pinocchio, um, which is also funny because it's just lying and the whole thing. It's a nice little thing I did there. There's two. There's that was great. There's two things uh, that we've seen from Justine Reed in person that have is made Geppetto. Is Geppetto like? A, is I Geppetto, knew we were done. I is Geppetto the cricket? No, Geppetto is the he's the maker. Okay. No, you remember at um, the PGA Championship at Bethpage Black when we were making our video out front doing the arrivals where we were making fun of all the guys. That's where we first got into it with uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick. Yeah. It was a very good video. And there was one part of the video, and I think it's in there, where Justine Reed shows up. And there's a putting little putting area right behind where the players would arrive. And people are focused. They're trying. I mean, it's a major, so they're trying to get their shit together. And Justine Reed walked in looking like Cersei Lannister and all gold and just walked straight across that putting green on everybody's line and everybody's way. And we were like, that person is has got something going on. And then yeah. the other one, I think Riggs and I, you and I were walking at some tournament and we, she was just sitting on the ground like under a tree on a random hole. And we're like, I'm pretty sure that's Justine Reed. And she was just sitting there, not looking at her yeah. phone. She had like a notepad and she was just ruthlessly going through the notepad. And then she also was like, we've seen her every practice round we've ever seen. She's out there on the greens going away. And like in, in chapel, then we've talked about, she'll just like getting you. She's like, if you're just working on a putt or something, she'll just walk in your way and be like, no, I, I have to read the fucking green. Like, get out. What are you doing here? Get out of my way. So <laughs> she's just she's a the, fascinating character in the golf universe. Oh, interesting. I mean, I would be best. shocked if she's like hiring, like, PIs for oh, to yeah. investigate other golfers and scoop dirt on. Uh, I mean, like totally cross her. She is looking for blood. I am uh, a little worried. So when you talk about a notepad rigs, like what's in that notepad? Like so-and-so did this in a tournament. So-and-so did that. I mean, I would not. Five hour interview. If we had her on the show, it'd be a five hour podcast. <laughs> I am worried that we've seen the death of used golf facts because they, ha- they haven't tweeted. There hasn't been any likes, no replies. I, I fear that now that she has, uh, you know, exposed herself as used golf act, she might not 
keep using it. But then the back in the back of my head, she's gonna get so angry at something that yeah. she's gonna start tweeting again like crazy. Right, she's absolutely yeah. gonna keep using it. She tweeted from Patrick Reed's account, deleted it, tweeted it from her own account, and then left it up there so that anytime someone saw the screenshot of if of like who possibly could have tweeted from Patrick Reed's account, they can now say it's this account that's been tweeting about Patrick Reed for the last couple of years. I hope she just creates a new burner account that's like the best part golf facts or something like that. Just something stupid, but just like another burner. The Patrick Reed tweet is still up. Like it hasn't been deleted. Wait a minute. No, no. Is it? It's literally still up. I'm looking at it. On Patrick Reed's account? Oh yeah. No. Yeah, she didn't that never got deleted. Oh. That's stunning. I thought she deleted it. Holy fuck, she didn't delete it. That's crazy. They just kept it up. Yeah. She's just like, oh, it only has 700 bad. likes. Like, how are you not – how is that not the biggest story of the whole thing? That a Patrick Reed tweet to Phil Marshall and Jeff Jeff Mill 8888 and PRNPR. <laughs> like, she's responding to nobody's on threads nine messages down. Rory McIlroy, and then at Rory McIlroy, did the same thing today on All 18 from Patrick Reed. I, her, her actually being behind that Twitter account, I know we talked about it a lot oh about God. how, oh, it's definitely her. Like, it's for sure her, 99% sure it's her. But I think somewhere in the back of my head, I was like, no, that can't be. Dude, I think, too, it's funnier that there's a, there's a little bit of a cover that it's not, like – stated or officialized that it's Justine Reed. Like there's a, there's an ounce of cover that it's not her. And that makes it so much funnier that she like, even I, what percentage of her do you think tweets from it being like, Oh, they think this is just fucking use golf facts. Like this is just a fan who loves facts of golf tweeting about what's going on, the happenings of the golf world. Like it, is that, really a, it is a larger discussion about what sort of media the Reed family consumes because like, Patrick Reed probably doesn't even know he has a Twitter account. He might not even know what Twitter is. Like I, he said it before in interviews where he plays golf and goes home and spends time with his family. He leaves the house, he goes and plays golf and he goes back to his family. Like I'm sure he knows about a lot of it. It'd be impossible not to because we talk about how great it is that he can block all this stuff out and still win a tournament by five strokes. But there is part of me that he's just, you know, he's like, ah, well, you know, that's just Justine. That's what she does. And I'm just going to keep playing golf and win tournaments. I think that's it. I think he's like, yeah, I hit golf ball. I go home. I tend to my family. And I guess Justine might be on Twitter with some, I don't know. It's just not what I do. So whatever. And, and God bless him. Cause it works. He goes and wins golf tournaments. And it's I wonder, I wonder if anybody will ever ask him besides us. I mean, if we got our hands on Patrick Reed, we're going to ask him about use golf facts, but if any other media, like when they do post on interviews, if they would be like, Hey, Probably for the casual viewer, you're not going to know what I'm about to talk about, but tell us everything about used golf facts because that's got to be a fascinating story. Like that Patrick Reed tweet being up, they brought it up. They put it on Golf Channel. Like it's a tweet from his official account. So like that that tweet was put on Golf Channel. So now, I mean, I guess it would be next time he does a presser, like when he does a pre-tournament presser where you get 20 minutes with him or so where you can really grill the guy and I, somebody has to bring it up be like this account use golf facts with all caps on fact, like this account is just clearly 
you or your wife, right? Like it's, it's, you tweet it. It's just you. And I don't know how he's going to respond. He might just be like, I don't know. I actually don't know. I don't pay. I'm not on Twitter. I don't know Every other fine that he's gotten himself in, it's a rules one. And he can be like, I thought I did everything right. Like, you know, well, I don't know what to tell you. I followed the rule. I called the rules official over. And that's a perfectly acceptable answer. But there's not an acceptable normal answer to, does your wife run a burner account that <laughs> trashes other players on tour and then accidentally forgets to switch from your main account and back to the burner? Like, what could he possibly say to that? Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And that, my friends, is why I tweeted that the reads are awesome. They are just through and through so awesome. The fact that they're real is almost not believable. Like, how, how do we get so lucky that the reads are a real thing in today's golf world and how boring and bland 95% of these guys are? And you get the Reed family that is just diabolical. And I think we're only at the beginning of it. I think. There's got to be so much under the surface. If this is like she, like you said, she's just going to lose her mind one of these days about God knows what. She'll see a segment of fucking Brandle roasting and whatever. And she's just going to fire that account back up. And who knows where it's going to go. What? So one time it, le- it led to Patrick Reed doing a fucking New York Times interview after the Ryder Cup where he threw Jim Furyk and Jordan Smith under the bus. So like, you just don't know where this is going to end. And it's absolutely excellent. Um, before we go to our very good friend, Ryan Dempster, who is going to be like a three-hour podcast, who knows, but a couple other things. Tony Finau finished tied for second. Nice. Um, Victor Hovland's drop, which Lurch alluded to earlier, um, was one of, the, one of the funniest and most awkward things I've ever seen on television coverage. And he was a, a, a victim, you're right, Lurch, of like they were zooming in on every ball in the rough or that was – being chipped they were like super 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 zooming on the ball and it made me uncomfortable in my apartment like I was a little I was sitting in the couch a little bit like oh don't move don't move like it was so awkward trying to watch that and then it was it looked like a uh, a kindergarten teacher was was directing his like four-year-old student I'm like no place it here try to place it here little Vicky try to place it there and he just they just couldn't get the fucking ball to stop rolling that was infuriating to watch I think um, I laughed out loud quickly. Like Trent tweeted out, I think just a thousand times that just said, "I think place it, place it, place." No, they it. kept saying the guy kept saying, "Pick it up again, pick it up again, pick it up again, pick it up again." And it's like, what? How? What are we doing? What are we doing? And to Frankie's larger point about the rules of golf, that's where it's like, that's yeah. where you lose the casual viewer. By the way, when it's when they're trying to figure. Ooh it out that nobody cares about except them and they're just being like picked up again if you're flipping channels and you're like oh i'll check out the golf i hear something's going on with patrick reed and then they cut to this guy telling hovland just to keep picking it up 90 times they're gonna be like fuck this i'm not watching this what is what is this sport <laughs> right hovland was caught in the crosshairs that poor young kid i mean like he didn't want to be there at that point he was like just give me t10 i'm out of here i don't want to be part of this golf tournament any longer well Hovland on the yeah. 17th hole missed a 26 inch putt that cost him almost $400,000. Yeah. That hurt. He was, he had like a 30 footer up the hill and it almost went in. It looked like it was going to go in. That would have gotten him within like a stroke or two at the time, um, which Reed, I mean, Torrey Pine South, anything could happen out there. It's a hard golf course. So looked like that was going to go in. You're like, Oh, we could have had a golf tournament. Then he, it was like, he just lost focus. Didn't clean that one up properly. Ended up costing him again. Almost $400,000, which sucks. Um, Will uh, Zalatoris, who's got a phenomenal name, finished tied for seventh. Young stud coming up. Uh, he looks exactly like Happy Gilmore's caddy 
from the first round when he fucking yeah. oh my god <laughs> he looks exactly like him so i saw a couple tweets about that uh while we're here carlos ortiz looks exactly like jordan spieth on the golf course crazy oh uh, nobody could get over that every time they cut to him it was like oh speed and it just wasn't speed that you, was hard to i saw you try not to get your hopes up about speed uh he had that one great shot and then he just didn't miss he missed the cut yeah, I had that shot to get to like four under, and they're like, oh, Jordan Speed moves to within four of the lead. And I tweeted, I tweeted it. I will not get uh I will not get my hopes up about Jordan Speed. I will not get my hopes up about Jordan Speed. And then a few hours later, he missed the cut. And then I had these fucking idiots on Twitter. People don't have a brain that are tweeting me the next morning that are like, that didn't age well. And I was like, no, actually it aged perfectly. Like I literally tweeted, don't get your hopes up about Jordan Speed. And then it was vindicated that I should not have gotten my hopes up about Jordan Speed. So like actually it aged perfectly. That was why I tweeted that. One of the so, worst parts of Twitter is the people who do the, that didn't age well. When I'm, all right, all right, sorry, uh, sorry, I don't have a fucking time machine. Like, all my tweets are with all the available information that I have at the time. Whatever happens in the future, I don't know. I, I don't have a crystal ball. Dude, I, I get a- that shit. I get that shit with the hockey all the time. They're like, you're tweeting in all caps. Sounders are up 3 nothing. They lost 6-3. Uh, how they'll always go back at the end of the game to when the Islanders went up one nothing or something or someone scored. How'd that turn out for you? It's like at that moment right. when I said the Islanders are throttling the Capitals, it's true. They were throttling the Capitals. Did they end up getting throttled? Yeah, check my most recent tweet where I said I don't want to watch hockey anymore. Like I've I've tweeted since then. Things have happened. Like whatever I'm seeing in front of me, it's not like old takes exposed. I'm not even that mad about it, as, as PFT would say. This doesn't get me aggravated at all. I'm actually yeah. laughing at this yep. situation. I'm actually yep. laughing. It's also, you know, it's not a take. You're just describing what happens in Dude, real time. And you were I, that's my point. I've never really made takes. I'm not sitting here being like, the Capitals are going to miss the playoffs because of their play in this first period. Like, that would be old takes exposed. That's like, all right, you're saying that this team doesn't have what it takes to make it to the playoffs. I'm just saying the Islanders are throttling the Capitals in the first period. It was 3 nothing, 22-0 to zero in shots. That's what was happening. Never once said they were going to win the game, nothing. Oh, I hate it. I hate it so much. I will say um, one quick point on that kid. Uh, what's his name? Will Zalatoris. How do you pronounce his last name? I think it's Zalatoris. Faldo made a great comment after he ripped that three wood. He goes, Oh, he's got lovely quick hips or something like that. That I got a that I got a good kick out of just Faldo sitting back with a drink potentially at that point. For Faldo sure. always says little things. He called me a delicate little flower. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're three woods. We got a shout out Adam Scott's three wood. That thing was fucking ridiculous. Oh. I, don't I, don't like, I don't like Adam Scott's. Um, was it the oh, UNLO or whatever? How do you say um, that brand? UNLO. It's just a, it's a bunch of boxes all over him. Yeah, I don't think he looks good. I don't think the imaging is great. I think they need to rework that. He's too hot to look like that. Yeah, and then, like, every time he takes that putter out, it looks like he's wielding a sword, that fucking massive putter. <laughs> you can't have a putter like that and miss putts. Like, it's just so cocky. It's crazy. <laughs> You've got this ridiculous-looking putter with two grips on it. And you're just like, it's just so ridiculous looking. Every time I see him walking up to the green with it, it's like he's going to fucking jump over one. What's that? What's that Olympic sport? We oh, uh, finished the last pole vault. Podcast. Pole vault. Something he's going to pole vault over something. It's a ridiculous I say, putter. I like, you say might have to cocky. say something positive here soon. 
we're going to finish this podcast with a negative aspect too. You know, maybe I'm just trying to get things on an upswing. You got anything positive to add about what happened over the weekend? No, the Islanders haven't won five straight games. Tony D'Angelo is getting in fights with the Rangers. That was a positive. Yeah, there you go. The Rangers, the Rangers losing a guy, a defenseman who's scored 86 points in the last two seasons because he's the most hated player in all sports history. This guy, Tony D'Angelo, may get be hated more than Patrick Reed. He got punched in the face, quote unquote. He got waved, and no NHL team picked him up. No, so like the guy had eighty six. The guy had fifty something points last year as a defenseman. Yeah. No one's picking him up. He got punched. Rumor has it by Chris Kreider right in the face in the locker room. The Rangers came out today and said he will no longer play on this organization. Yeah. <laughs> be, it's just like I mean, Glenny Balls tweets out a Sopranos gif every time the guy gets a point. He was like a, the most liked Ranger ever. I've always known this guy was an asshole. Yeah, I don't know if he was the most liked Ranger ever. Yeah, people know. love Tony D. Tony D. Everyone said the New York uh, thing. Was not, yeah, maybe. So. You're not a part of that. No. Uh, Francesco Molinari got his first top 10 uh, in nearly two years since Tyson cut his throat and like drowned him in Ray's Creek at the 12th hole at Augusta National. So he's somehow reemerged. Uh, good for Francesco Molinari. Glad that he recovered from the spanking that Tiger Woods gave him. It is stunning to see his name. Like, I forgot he existed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was pretty much uh, Tiger made good work at him, and he's been done, and and he's finished top ten, so good for him. Um, And then the last thing is somebody brought up. We saw lots of emails and tweets about this, that uh, Tiger Woods' worst score in his history from each hole at Augusta National – I saw a few different submissions, um, but I think 107 yeah. seemed to be the most common number that I saw was 107. So it was 35 over, I think. Is that the right math? Yeah. So yeah. Tiger Woods, uh, it's funny to go through like, <laughs> the scorecard, but first hole's a double, second hole's only a bogey. So, I mean, I know that's a par five that those guys can get, um, but your worst score playing hundreds of rounds in tournament play at Augusta in the second hole, um, only being a bogey, like, that's really not bad. Um, the third hole, he's made a double. The fourth hole, he's made a double, which is a part three. Fifth hole, he's made a double. That's part four. Sixth hole, he's made a double. That's a part three. Seventh hole, he's made only a bogey. The worst score he's made on the seventh hole is a bogey. That's shocking. That hole, like with all those bunkers up front, the narrow tee shot, it's like 450 now or something like that. The worst score he's ever made there is a five. Wow. Um, just, Im- just imagine that being the your floor – on any golf hole on planet earth that you're just like yeah you know i made a five once and that's the worst i ever he and you know tiger woods has a pretty storied history at augusta national he's played there a lot so for that to be only a bogey is just like it's mind-blowing honestly i couldn't believe that the uh eighth hole he's made a triple so that like made me feel normal i was like okay good like there's holes he's made the ninth hole the worst score he's made is a bogey again thought that was amazing hole the worst score he's made is a double the 11th hole, the worst score he's ever made is a bogey. Jesus. Crazy. Jesus. With the water down the left, like he hits drives in those fucking right trees all the time. And the worst score he's ever made there is a five. That green's not easy. Um, the 12th hole, he made a 10. <laughs> so we are all witness to that this, this past year. Um, 13th hole, he's made a double. 14th hole, he's made a bogey. That's the worst. There's no bunkers in that hole and no water, but still, that's surprising. 15th hole, he's made a triple. That makes sense. 16th hole, the worst hole score he's ever made is a bogey. Found that very surprising. 17 bogey and 18 bogey. So, again, 
extremely impressive that in all of his time, he's got that many holes where he's never made a double or worse. That's all going off of this one guy's spreadsheet that he sent us. Um, so if any of that information is incorrect, please do not blame us. Please blame uh, Colby. This guy's name's Colby. So if you're going to blame anyone for any data that we just gave you, blame Colby. And you know what? In that uh, in that same vein with Colby's, if your name is Colby, you must, you fucking must, you pieces of shit, get your lives together, Colby. I'm talking to you, the guy who 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 sent us that fucking spreadsheet, and then all the Colby's out there. Yes, you Colby too. Go subscribe. Go subscribe to Foreplay on YouTube. You must. You absolutely must. It is your duty. Also, that's just one stroke better than double bogey on every single hole, right? 35 over. So, I mean, I think I can beat that. I hope. Every single hole, double bogey or better. I think I can beat that. I'd like to speak to every Chad out there. Wow, we're going with the C's. Chad, you've been roasted on the internet for the last five, six years or so. Off name. Being considered just the um, the – the, I guess, I would say encompassing of a total douchebag. Yeah. And now is your chance, Chad, to go redeem yourself. And you go to YouTube and you click foreplay golf. You click the little subscribe button right there. And you, Chad, now have freed yourself from this eternal internet life of being a, co- a total douchebag. And you have entered a world of respect. We now respect you. We like you. We thank you for subscribing. Great work, Chad. There's a guy out there who messaged me, and I can't remember his name now, so he may be in limbo forever. But he said, "Should I, should I subscribe right now, or should I wait until you call my name?" And it was like an obscure name. He goes, "I know you'll never call my name. It's so ridiculous." And I told him to wait. Um, so he, um, I'm gonna have to go back and look. I got I got to run here for a 7 p.m. call, but so oh. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say, Luke, if you're out there, hey. Luke, join. Um, give a subscribe, simple, easy. I gotta go speak to a Luke now. So if you're another one out there, go subscribe. Another Star talk. Wars name. Star yeah, Wars. Star Wars. He's getting in the he's getting in the field. He's gotta go enter his Battlestar Galactica before I go. Get on there. Get up. Take off. Launch. Here, here Launch time. My name is Ben Severance. I wanna talk to <laughs> <laughs> my name is Ben Severance. I want to talk to you about some drones here at Axon. <laughs> Um, all right, Josh, listen up. Wow. Have we done Josh already? I don't know. I don't know. I don't Is think... anyone taking track of this stuff? I, I'm not. I but very Josh, much doubt it. Josh, listen, man. You probably suck as a bunker player. You suck out of the bunkers, just like I do. You need to learn how to do it correctly, and Tommy Fleetwood is going gonna, is gonna to teach you. He's going to coach you. we got a video coming out. It's probably already out now when you're listening to this, or it's coming out tonight. Just watch it. Well, first, subscribe. You're going to get all of our videos. There's a lot more coming, a lot more instructional stuff. Tommy Fleetwood's, up. Tommy Fleetwood's up first. He's going to teach you how to get out of a bunker. He taught all of us, and it was miraculous. So, Josh, go ahead and subscribe and learn how to be a better bunker player. Wow. I really thought you were just attacking Josh's at the beginning by saying they're horrible bunker players. And I was like, well, Same. That's, not, that's not very nice, Trent. But yeah, I was like, I do you know a specific Josh that is a horrible <laughs> bunker player? No. Uh, okay, next up, we're finally going to get to this interview, which is a wow. Very so without what a long podcast. Further ado, here is World Series champion Ryan Dempster. How are we doing? Good. Yes. How are you guys doing? Great, Good, man. 
where are you guys all, where are, where's everyone at uh i'm in i'm in scottsdale i'm yeah. in i'm in new york city it's snowing like crazy uh yeah, no, we just got that Long Island, New York, snowing just as much as New York City. It's crazy. I mean, we got two two feet out here. It's nuts. Yeah. Tough loss last night. Sorry about that. I well, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> are we gonna start? You're gonna you're gonna start trashing me about the Islanders? Is that what this is? Dude, about? the the mid '80s were like my heyday. Bossy, Trottier, Potvin, all those guys. So I I have this like small little part of me that's this Islanders fan in there. You're talking my language now. You're talking sweet, sweet fucking science now. I mean, this is uh, – they haven't won in, you know, it's been five straight losses, so I'm kind of losing my fucking mind. But, um, yeah, we're holding on to some hope. Last night was tough. Your commercial was cool, though, Frank. They haven't won since the commercial came out. <laughs> Man. And in the commercial, it's a New Amsterdam Vodka commercial. In the commercial, they said, whether your team is winning and it shows, like, the Blackhawks – and it's like, or losing, and it shows me and my dad go, no! <laughs> and I was and like, that, I hey, I hate feeling like the jinx. I've been there, man. Right. <laughs> like, like Marlins, I got traded. I come up in 98 they, after winning the World Series. Then I get traded. They win the World Series. I'm, like, starting to put it all together. <laughs> I get over to the Cubs. We start tanking. I'm like, it's me, dude. I'm the, I'm the weak link right here. You got the monkey <laughs> off your back, though. Yeah. Yeah, twice. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. The uh, I would say like we get that with golf, with tweeting about golf. Like if one of our guys is playing well, you start tweeting about it, and he makes double. Every every person just replies like, "You're a jinx, you're a mush. Stop fucking tweeting about this guy. It sucks." Well, we can get into that. We can get into superstitions a little bit because I think there's a good connect there between baseball and golf. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. For sure. Um, I mean, we're into it. We've already started. I think we're in. I like that. I hate the stupid yeah. intros. I think uh, we're is, not. Yeah. This is not uh, Walter Cronkite here. Uh, Ryan Dempster's on foreplay. Welcome to the Heck show. Heck yeah. Thanks That's for right. having he, me. He's on the show. 2013 World Series champion, two-time All-Star. Um, big golfer. I hear you're a pretty good player. Is that right? Decent, yeah. I, I, and my index, you know, I'm giving strokes most of the time, which, you know, I should I should start figuring out a way to post a few more bad scores or something. Yeah, I think I, I was looking, if you're like a four or five or so, we've talked a lot on the show about how I think that's the worst handicap you could possibly be. Yeah, the days when I was a 10, it was better because I could still fire out at like, you know, a mid-70s round, even maybe close to par on a great day. And I'm getting a ton of strokes. I'm winning a bunch of money. Now I got to like, I have to shoot 75 to 78. Otherwise, I'm losing. Couldn't agree more. And maybe it's just like me being a little bitch about it, but I have said that for years that just like when you're a five or so, which is what I've been forever, it's like if I, I'm not that good. So people that are like a two or a three are way better and they play way more consistently. And people that are like an eight to a 12 are pretty similar, but they're getting five or six more shots. And in match play, they'll just dust you and clean you out every time. That, and that Kevin Millar always tells me, he's like, then stop complaining and become a one. Like he's like, he's like, you got to practice more, Ryan. I know you're in Chicago and you have to visualize golf a lot because you can't play in the winter, but I, I, I really do. It's the, it's that short game that I gotta, I gotta figure out. Do you think you've uh, got it in you to be a one? We talk about that on the show all the time. You're, you know, a professional athlete. Do you think, do you think you got it in you? I, I, I do. I, I think I do. I, I got, I, cause I went from like, uh, I went from, uh, um, I got my daughter here. Huh? <laughs> okay. No, that's my, that's, that's a family that's show. Coffee. Family friendly. Yeah. 
Say hi to the boys real quick. Say hi, to the boys. <laughs> yeah. say hi to the boys. There you go. Hey. Hey. hey, she did not look happy to see us, I will say. No. No, she wants my coffee, which, you know, it's not happening right now. I have to drink it because I have kids, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that I went from a – I went – I never had got lessons my whole life. Like, I just – went off of my just pure athletic raw ability, which was, you know, uh, on a golf course subpar at, at best. And uh, I just said enough. Like, I just got tired of, like, the up and down, the not being consistent. Like, the not constantly breaking 80 was bothering me. The sitting at 82 to 90 range. So I said, screw it. And I went and got lessons. I went to this place in Chicago, a place called Golf Now started working with some guys, did the golf specific actual lifting. So I was training those muscles wow. and I went, I went from like, uh, you know, a, a, a nine, 10 down to a four. Like I actually got down to like a two, eight in my index one summer because I was just practicing. It's amazing. Any eh? practice actually pays off. So yes, I think I could get down to the closest scratch if I, if I dedicated it. Were you, uh, when your index was that low, were you playing the same course a lot? No, I was playing everywhere. See, that's impressive because I like the lowest I've ever gotten. I was I was playing the same course every day for like two years, pretty much. And I got somewhere around like a three, but I wasn't a three. Like when we go play somewhere else, I was like a six or a seven. But when we played the same course all the time, I could, you know, I don't know. You just muscle memory, confidence, whatever the hell it is. You go out and shoot like mid 70s pretty easily. Um, But, yeah, it's interesting. Do you think um, do you think pitchers are the best golfers out of baseball players? It feels like they are. I would say like on a general whole, yes. Like if you were to take the sum of all the ball players, but I mean, there's some guys out there position player wise that are really good. Like guys like Aaron Hicks and, you know, Donaldson's a good player and, um, uh, you know, Brian McCann's a good player. There's other guys I know I'm missing, but Jeff McNeil's really good. Jeff McNeil, good Jeff, yeah. Jeff McNeil's like a one, you know, there's, and coaches like Phil Nevin is a position player. And even when he was playing, good golfer like had been down around scratch really really good golfer so but i think we just have more free time like it's frowned upon when you're a position player to get up at 6 a.m and go play oakmont pittsburgh and then be ready to hit taters at night like whereas i can get away with that pretty easy plus two like the idea that they i don't know i just boggles my mind that guys in season with a baseball swing would be comfortable then doing a golf swing. Cause I know that they're somewhat similar in the fact of like, if you actually like take it, like, like the contact is still kind of similar, but it's completely different planes. Like I'm always told when I go to a lesson or someone tries to explain the swing to me, cause I'm an idiot. They always say, Oh, that's very baseball of you. You're like, you're kind of scooping your, your shoulders coming down a little bit. You're coming up on it. Like, I just always found that to be inter- interesting. We've talked to McNeil about that. Like he's able to go out there and just kind of separate the two pretty simply. I would think for a pitcher, it's like no problem. Like, you know, there's no muscle memory there with the swinging. You guys are just thinking about pitching. Well, especially Frankie, you look at my career batting average. There's definitely no problem in between <laughs> how, how I hit and hitting I'm, a golf ball. That's so um, funny that you said that. I was just going to your baseball reference page to see what it was. Do you know what it is off the top of your head? It's it's the worst stat I own. I, I it's um, oh ninety nine. You know how much that hurts. I, that's exactly what it is. So you definitely know what it is. How much does that kill you that it's not triple digits? <laughs> it's it kills me more than being a game under five hundred. In my career. Ooh. Oh yeah. And the reason I can compart see like you talk about compartmentalizing, I always people are like, man, you're a game under five hundred. Like people on Twitter will get on me, right? Like some smart ass comment, you know, like, 
Oh yeah. And I'm like, I I had back-to-back years in 06, 07 as the closer where my combined record was uh, three and 19 or sorry, three and 16. I was two and seven and one and nine. So that as a starting pitcher, I was a winning pitcher as a closer. I was not. Um, But I, I think that that's a really tough one because all I think to myself is not what I've just got one more hit. I'm like, why didn't I just get one of those sack bunts down instead of fouling yeah. that pitch off? Right. Right. You know, right. That's the pitcher in me. Yeah. That's a tough one to swallow guys. I can't, I go, I go to sleep at night sometimes thinking about that one still. I was, um, I was listening recently to our hockey guys. They did a couple of years ago, uh, chicklets guys an interview with Nathan McKinnon. And he was telling the story about how he got 99 points one year and couldn't quite get to a hundred. And then when he went back, you know, up to like Nova Scotia for training all, all uh, summer long that like Brad Marchand from the Bruins was just roasting him because he had gotten a hundred that year and just chirping him like, Oh yeah, the double digit club. Like, that's great. And just like roasted him off. He's like one fucking deflection or random, like second assist or anything gets me to a hundred and you're just, you're just right there. So yeah, one game, one game under that or that 99 that's just you're so I'm, close. I'm knee deep in ryan dempster stats right now and i'm looking so you just couldn't you never turned on one you couldn't you couldn't hit a home run either no so close so many times uh not so many times but bp i could and then i and then i realized i was hitting completely wrong after i got done playing and losing all my power leverage but i hit the top of the yellow line twice oh. dimitri young robbed, robbed a home run from me in cincinnati um that that sucked and the the next day he told me the only reason he could rob it was because the batter before me mike redmond hit a ball in the left field corner so he had to run the ball down the left field corner and he's like i just didn't get back to position in time and i was back there to be able to go get it i'm like you son of a bitch you're my only shot and your lazy ass is the reason that's why it was because he was lazy no it was uh i had a bunch of close calls and uh and never never got one that's but still i'm fine with that the 099 i'm not fine with when you talk about buddies like how mckinnon's buddies are ripping them i go i go home to my little town in canada and they say the same thing like we'll be all sitting around playing poker and somehow somebody will start talking about hitting and they'll all just be like well brian shut up dude you don't get in on this conversation you know nothing <laughs> about hitting we can all hit better than you and that's just the facts <laughs> oh man it's tough well i will say like if we're going to talk about you know your uh your shittier stats like your World Series champ, and I'm a St. Louis guy, and pretty much all we've got is the Cardinals and the Blues. And game one, I think you closed out what, like an eight to one win against us or something like that. It, it, well, it was eight nothing, and I came in and I hit one that Matt Holiday hit off of like uh, I don't know the House of Blues over there on on Lansdowne okay. Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, no. he crushed, he crushed it. But the best was afterwards, you know, like, and then we win the game, and I remember this too because. It was 8 nothing. I gave up the home run, first hitter of the inning. Then I get a couple outs. Then I give up a base hit to right field, you know, and it's it's the playoffs and it's the World Series. So everything's magnified. And all of a sudden, like, our bullpen gets going. And I, like, look in the dugout, two, run, two, two out with a seven-run lead. And I'm like, John Farrell, if you even think about coming out here, you and I are fighting. <laughs> like, we're full-on scrapping after this game. So, and he just, like, I looked over and he's, like, just, like, gave me the finish it look. And I punched out Matt Adams. And we're in the shower after the game, and Johnny Gomes looks over me, right? And I'm like, wow, dude, that ball got crushed that holiday hit, huh? And he goes, hey, Ryan, look look at it this way. If you would have finished the World Series with a zero ERA, nobody would have thought you pitched. So it's good that he gave it, gave it up. <laughs> sure, that's a good one. <laughs> that is good. Uh, I've always wondered that. Like, is it a little flustering, like, when the bullpen gets going? Is that a little bit, like, yeah, you, you're like, okay, you fuckers. Like, I see what's going on here. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, oh, okay. You don't believe in me anymore. You know, and I was always a guy that actually, to be honest with you, I kind of got fueled by that. You know, that was just years and years and years of Braden Looper coming in and giving up all my runs in Florida. So I was like, from now on, if anybody's getting up, I'm, I'm not letting it happen. I'll give up the granny before I'm going to let somebody else come in and give up all my runs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could see that. It is, it's funny how like the, the mind games and what, you know, like I could see some people get rattled or that, that, that messes them up or they choke and, and other people you get kind of motivated, you get fired up. Cause it's like, you know, we talk about golf. Like if, you know, it's not the same thing clearly, but like your peripherals and, your ability to like sense, even if somebody's like watching you in golf, even though it means nothing, even though you don't care, even though that person doesn't care where you actually hit it, like in your head, even if you can't actually see it, you know what's going on and you can sense it and how that affects people differently is, uh, is interesting. Yeah. Well, and, and to, I've, I've said this forever that I think a starting pitcher and a golfer are probably the two most similar different sport athletes. So you know, think about it. We go out and, you know, you're hoping to throw a hundred pitches in a game, right? And if you're worried about pitch number 17, when you're making pitch number 18, now, instead of giving up that solo homer, you've given up a double, a walk, next thing you know, you've given up a four spot. You know, now you're not making the cut. And, and that's, that's the same sort of similar things where you, Greg Maddox and I would always talk about it. And Harvey Dorfman, who was a sports psychologist, wrote a bunch of really good books on you know, the ABCs of pitching in the mental game of baseball, compartmentalizing this shot, this moment, this pitch. I select the pitch I want to throw, I where I want to locate it, and then all I have to do is execute. And that's the same as a golf shot. I'm looking at the shot. I pick the club I want to hit it with, and then I visualize hitting that shot, and then I have to execute. And if all of a sudden I hit it in the bunker and I'm like, man, I'm mad, I'm not getting up and down. You have to be able to shut that off and make the next shot. I could, I could walk three guys in a row, which I've done plenty of times, I can walk four guys in a row and still get out of it. If I can truly sit there and say, it's about this shot right here, this pitch. And that's all that matters. And for me playing golf early, earlier on in my career, I didn't do it a lot playing it middle of my career really changed my perspective as far as being able to do that out on the mound, because that was something I struggled with, you know, a guy making an error behind me, a bad call by the umpire and I'm getting flustered for no reason when those things are out of my control just controlling what I can is the most important thing. So golf really helped my pitching because of that. It's, it's interesting you bring up the walks, the consecutive walks. It's something I'm, as a baseball fan, I've always just, you know, when you get to the professional level of something that it's the same thing every time, at least in golf, like, all right, the guy missed five straight five foot putts, but they could be sliders. They could be downhill. They could be breaking the cut. The cold could be cut different in baseball. It's like you have the same mound, same distance, same baseball, and you know how to throw strikes. And it always drove me crazy when you watch a guy just, he can't figure it out. What's going on through a pitcher's mind. Is it mental or cause like, you can throw strikes at will. Like, no matter what, you could throw a strike. But for some reason, guys are just – they can't find it. Yankees, like Ivan Nova's out there in, in, in the day. He just couldn't throw a fucking strike. You're watching on TV, you're like, throw a strike. Throw a strike. It's four straight walks. Throw a strike. I what think, happens I think there? At the, at the couple different things. One, it, definitely mental. Can, can be physical. You Maybe you're battling something and you're just out of whack, you know, you, we don't always pitch at a hundred percent out there. So maybe we're, we're doing something out of the ordinary. Um, I, I think a lot of times, a lot, a lot, a lot of times, like I would say 80% of the time when guys are having command issues, they're trying to play keep away instead of actually letting the guys hit it. 
And you, what happens is, is if you do that and you start letting them hit it, you get a lot more quick contact. The guys make the plays behind you. Um, you get in a groove. The umpire gets in a groove. You know, like if I if I paint a heater down and away, and then I go to like a fastball up and in, and then a breaking ball, and then another pitch inside, and then a changeup, and then I I get a one-two count, and I paint that pitch, and it might be an inch outside. That umpire is probably going to say ball. But if I consistently throw it in that spot, it's hard for him to tell whether that's a strike or a ball. They start to just believe that those are strikes just because we're they're humans, so they're going to do that. We don't have computers yet. But I think that's what happens. And for me in my career, almost all the time it was mental. It was I was trying to not let them hit it. I was trying to strike them out on pitch one instead of just letting things happen and letting my stuff, letting 94 to 96 take care of itself, letting a good slider take care of itself. Um, I, I really struggled with that early on. But, you know, those moments – I got a great – you want to talk about – here's a major league record. You won't find this in baseball reference unless you dig really deep. The only pitcher in major league history to walk four consecutive batters and still get the save. <laughs> Figure that one out. Wow. That feels, so, that feels like a riddle. I mean, the fans there were just like fucking figure it out, right? Like, <laughs> well, one... I was in Philly. I'm facing oh the God. I'm facing the Phillies, and like I got a two nothing lead. Zambrano had eighty something pitches through eight, <laughs> and I guess he had a he had a blister, and he, they're like, "Hey, Demp's in." I'm like, "What?" Like I wasn't ready. Z was dealing, and I thought, "Oh." So I go out there, I get the first out, and all of a sudden walk. And it's Philly, and they they're thumping. This is like oh 2007. No, sorry, this is 2005. Ooh. 2005, and 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 they got a good team, and like Ryan Howard comes up, you know, and I go walk, walk, you know, here comes Larry Rothschild. Now now I walk Pat Burrell, and walk a run, and it's two to one, and Dusty's like getting ready to come up the top step. This is a true story, guys, and I just go like really loud. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and you see Bake look up, right? And I'm like, no, and he goes. All right, motherfucker, go get it then. Just like that. <laughs> and I went, punch out, punch out. Let's go. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. It was so awesome. Just his reaction, and we got out of it. And Yeah, but like that just showed you right there. Things were crumbling. I was pulling a Vandevelt really fast, but I somehow managed to just scrape together a victory. It was, yeah. it was a beautiful thing. You know, one of the things I, I, I've known about you, and this could be one of your best, um, you know, you have a lot of accolades, you have a lot of awards and all these things, but – on Hot Ones, one of our favorite shows on YouTube, um, they actually give Will Ferrell, one of the funniest people in the world, said that you're just a very funny guy. Like that name drop to me was such a stunning. Like, oh yeah, Ryan Dempster, what a funny fucking guy. Like, what, they 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 said you're known as the one of the best clubhouse guys in like all of sports. Like, how did you get that 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 um, you know? everyone thinks that of you like how did ryan dempster become the clubhouse guy is it because of your canadian like uh like hockey room locker room type of atmosphere because that, that's what i'm getting the vibes right now i feel like i'm talking to a hockey guy to be honest my my dad okay. i mean my family in general like that's just how we are like my mom's one of uh, eight my dad's one of five we had like family get-togethers like together so both sides of the family and like we don't even have like well, we can't go to Uncle Ted's house because, you know, they're fighting. Like, we just all got along, and it was always fun. Dinner time was always, like, my poor mom. I got two younger brothers, and we were always quoting movie lines and, you know, telling jokes. My dad was taking me to comedy clubs when I was 18, and I, we just love it. We just – it's always just been our way of coping at times through humor, and, um, yeah, and just – I've just been passionate about it. And then, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Will's, so when he came in, I was like, all right, 
I'm not holding back. How many chances do you get to meet this guy? And, and met him. He was throwing out the first pitch for uh, kicking and screaming with Mike Ditka. And that son of a bitch stole my glove. See, he says you gave him his glove, well, your glove. I said, hey, do you need a glove to use? And he's like, that would be great. And so then he just left with it. No. And so, yeah, which was fine. <laughs> I was thrilled. You know, he took my glove. That's cool. So then he comes back years later. He's doing the campaign and him, and Zach Gelfinakis and Zach's walking up and down the, the dugout. You know, has anybody seen my inhaler? And he's losing his mind. Right. And we're like, dude, you got to ask me. He goes, no, I keep my weed in there. You know, he was just like, he was so great. And then they, and so he did the first pitch and he ordered out a pizza and all this stuff. And we ate a pizza on the mound and we're having a blast and having this conversation. And, and I go, Hey, Will, by the way, what did you do with my glove? You remember you took my glove when you were here last? And he's like, Ryan, I am so sorry about that. He goes, by the way, I, uh, I gave it to a, a homeless guy out in front of Dick's Sporting Goods. So <laughs> yeah, but that was pretty, pretty clever. I don't know if he really did, but he said he didn't have it anymore. Yeah. You'll never know. No, oh and that's, that's part of the fun. I Did feel you feel like, like when you went into like a new locker room that it was your duty to be the locker room guy because of having like kind of like, you know, all right, Dempster's on the team. He's coming in here. He's the funny guy. Like, did you always feel like you had to be the funny guy? I didn't feel like I had to be. I loved being that guy. Right. Um, I, I always, job, I've always honest, right? Like it is like to, yeah. to be like a locker room camaraderie guy. Like you see that in hockey all the time. Like, why are they keeping this guy around? Well, like he's the best locker room guy in the world. And to the average fan, you're like, what the hell does that even mean? The guy doesn't have any goals this year. He's rides the fourth line. He's not that good of a player. Like, let's just put some money into another guy. It's like, no, that's the makeup. That's the guy. That's the stuff that we don't see as fans. The, the plane rides, the train rides, the buses in the locker room. When you guys have anything rain delays, like you, you got to keep these guys entertained. It's one of the best compliments a person. Can right. Get, I feel like too, is a great locker room guy. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like at the end of the day, you know, I always say this is like when we get done playing baseball, no matter who you are, man, like the greatest, when Ken Griffey Jr. retired, they just kept playing more baseball games. Right. You know, like they don't stop for anybody. So nope. like as much as we admire that, it's the relationships you build in like those moments and like the night, the 1998, 99, 2000 Marlins, I'm still friends with all, we have group text messages that still go like, we're still all really close. Cliff Floyd, Mike Lowell, Mike Redden, Mark Kotze, Preston Wilson. You know, you go down the list, Kevin Millar, Derek Lee. Like, we're all still buddies. And all that of those Marlins moments. team was absolutely fucking stacked. Lo- loaded, loaded. Look up that 1999 Marlins team. The 98 Marlins team, yeah, but the 1999 Marlins team, like, guys who had careers, 12 of us had careers in the big leagues, you know. Crazy game. But But I really re- – I reveled in that, and I love that. And I love – because I also understood – it's a long season. You're 162 games in 187 days and you're with each other all the time. And some guys are serious and that's okay. And you have to respect their seriousness. I was serious when I pitched, um, the other four days, you know, if I could find something, some way to, you know, create a little bit of opportunity to make somebody laugh, you know, I was around Millar so much and it was easy. So him and I just, it was like, you know, Abbott and Costello, just like, who's going to do the funny thing today or try to do something funny. And sometimes it, it was stupid, but at the same time, it was for the right reasons. And, you know, when I got to Boston in 2013, that was my, that was my job. Like they didn't hire me to be a number one starter. We already had two of those. They didn't hire me to be, you know, a number three. They just hired me to make my starts every fifth day, pitch as well as I could. But like after 2012, after the beer and shit, you know, so remember the whole fried chicken and beer in oh, Boston, yeah. right? Like yep. they, what, what did I do on opening day? I brought in a case of Popeyes and told all the guys beers upstairs. Like, <laughs> like yeah, 
you diffuse the situation right away yep. and like let's go. It's about baseball's fun. We're playing a game. We're not curing cancer. We're right. out there playing a baseball game. We're having fun. Yes, serious. Yes, got to do your job. Otherwise, you're gone. Somebody else will take it. But smile, have fun. Because when you're relaxed and you're having fun, the old adage, right? You're winning the game ten nothing, and what does the broadcaster say? They're in the dugout. Everybody's doing secret handshakes and you know smack each other on the butt. And they're like, look at these guys having fun, man. Aren't they great? You're losing ten nothing. You do that. They're like, they don't take anything serious. It's like, no, it's the same thing. So it's about having fun and relaxing, being focused in the moment, but. There's so much dead time, you know, whether that's jumping on some safety cards on takeoff and doing the ski, you know, the ski jump and just flying down the aisles as the plane's taking off. <laughs> that's good humor. You know, you might, you might blow a knee out, but it's funny. You know, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I'm assuming this is your vibe on the golf course, right? Music playing, beers being drank. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. seriousness, no yelling at caddies. No, it's yeah, like, yeah, I want to play a golf with i mean this is this is my this is a this is a foursome i want to be a part of ryan dempster's foursome is something that you've now entered by like dream foursome guy yes. just talking to you for 20 minutes i'm in let's do yeah. it yeah i agree with that that's that's the right vibe i it's it's like you can get caught up i feel like and it's it's cool to hear you talk about the like baseball and the and the perspective that it's a game right because it's like even us, like we feel like with our job, we can get stressed out with it, but it's like, we're actually doing what we would be doing anyways at, for fun. Like we'd be sitting around a bar talking about fucking golf with our buddies. That's genuinely what we would be doing. And that would be fun. That would be like the best part of the week. We're fortunate enough we get to do it for a job. And so it is funny because like you said, it's, there's certain people you can have a super serious nature to it. Um, but man, you can almost apply that to anything where it's like, no, it's like life's supposed to be enjoyable. Like life's supposed to be fun. The whole, it's not supposed to be such a grind all day in and out. Yeah. There's times you have to be serious. You have to get stuff done. We all understand that, but overall, like we're here to have a good time and then you're gone. That's pretty much it. So, uh, so it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a philosophy. I feel like people could benefit from applying to pretty much anything. Yeah. And then surrounding yourself with people like that. Like, I think that's super important. Like, you know, you know, I said, Millar, him and I are such good friends, but we talk about that all the time. It's like, life's too short, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being mad. Emotions are great to have. You can be mad. You can be angry. You can be sad, you know, frustrated, all those things. But at the, at the end of it all, I choose, you know, the positive side of things, you know, uh, like if I hit the ball, you know, on a par three and I hit it in the water off the tee, Instead of being mad, I hit it in the water. Most of the times I'm going to choose it. It's like, this is going to be a really great par. You know, like that's, that's how I think when I'm out on, out on the course. That's how I think when I was out on the baseball field. Like, yeah, like things are steamrolling right here, but I'm one pitch away from getting out of this. Or like if I leave the field and people are like, oh, you're not mad about that? You're darn right so I'm mad about that. That was my job. I get paid to do that. I didn't do my job. And there's nothing worse than when you don't do your job. So, but I'm, I, there's nothing I can do about it now. So I'm not going to walk around with my head hung low. Instead, I'm going to come in tomorrow with my head held high and teach all these young kids that when things don't go right, how to get back on the horse and work hard and be ready for that next time out because it's going to come really fast. And the more that guys can do that, the more you have a chance of sticking in a league and playing for, for you know, having a career. Instead of I tell guys all the time, do you want a cup of coffee or do you want to have the whole coffee pot? It's up to you, you know, and, and, and I chose that route. I still choose that route in my life of, you know, sometimes, you know, I have to be a little bit more sensitive because I'm like, something will happen and I'll just make a comment that I thought was funny and then somebody else is hurt by it. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, I got to be careful. Yeah. That's why I stay off, stay off Twitter at night, you know? <laughs> how do you, 
How have you done with the transition to now you, your MLB network analyst, Marquee Sports? Do you like that side of the camera? Yeah, I love the I love talking baseball, as you can tell. So like to break down stuff and look at things and analyze things and, and give the viewer out there the understanding of what we're going through as players when we're out there playing. Because we always want to have some answer and sometimes the answer is not found, right? Like why why when I throw a pitch right down the middle and a guy pops it in, pops it up, and then I come in the dugout and everybody says great pitch. But I, but I throw the pitch like in the perfect spot and the guy like flips his bat and it loops over the first baseman's head and we lose the game. And then the pitching coach is like, man, I would have went with the slider right there. It's like, you know, so like I try to have it under fans understand that, that aspect where it's like, you know, you, you have things that are unexplainable. You have things that are explainable and you have actual tangible things that I can watch as an ex player and go, Oh dude, this pitcher's dropping his arm down or he's not spinning the ball. Right. So it's fun to do that. And then I also like, you know, I love the off the mound stuff where I can actually like interview guys and do this, talk to them about the stories that exactly we talked about the bus rides, the, you know, the, the limo ride to Millar's parents, uh, mom's house in LA that caught on fire. That to me is a memory that will, will never go away. You know, you have to to explain, you have to expand on that. I mean, you have to. This is, this is quite amazing. So everybody got traded away. Gary Sheffield got traded to LA with, with CJ and the Piazza deal and Bobby Bow and all that. And then Piazza got traded away. So now we're going to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers and Kevin's mom has a beautiful home in the Hills um, out there. Um, and so he's like, we're gonna have a barbecue at the house. I got a couple of limos coming and we're going to go. So we're like, all right, this is great, man. So we all hop in the limos. And of course, Kevin hops in the, the Porsche with, with chef and uh, we're making our way up and, to Kev's mom's house and dude, one of the ACs goes out in the limo and it's like, it's August. It's hot, sweltering hot. We're on the, you know, the four Oh five in rush hour traffic. Ridiculous. We finally get up there and we're like, we, this limo has got to go. We're not riding in this thing up to chefs later. So we go do the barbecue. We have a blast. Chef feels like, all right, come up to his house up in Pacific Palisades His beautiful house up on the Hill basketball court, tennis court, like you name it. We're going to go have a good time. So we all hop in this other limo and we're driving. Meanwhile, Kevin's in this beautiful, nice Porsche with Gary. And we get to the gate at Pacific Palisades and we're sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden our driver just yells, get out, like, get out. And we're like, dude, like we like yelling at us, like meanly yelling at us. And we're like, calm down, man. Like, (laughs) I know we were a little loud back here. We've had a few. That's okay. He's like, no, get out. There's a fire. And we're like, what? And we open the limo door, dude, and this thing is whoo, whoo, just no. flames. Yeah, and in here is like Mike Lowell, LaVon Hernandez, Edgar Renneria, myself, uh, Brad Penny. We're all inside this limo. Half of our like roster is in a limo that's on fire out in front of the gate. And we get out, and then uh, LaVon, I think it was LaVon or Edgar had left their Louis Vuitton satchel, okay? It's a, it's a purse, okay? <laughs> uh, it's a satchel, but... Um, and he left it in there. So he goes back in cause he's got like cash and watches and all this stuff. And while the limo is on fire and we're like, no dude, you can't go back in there. So he gets it. He comes out and I'm not kidding you. Like within 10 seconds of him getting out this thing, you just hear this like, no and it, way. Oh yeah. Like out of a Hollywood movie, dude, like it full on oh. bursts into flames and we're like calling out to security. Like, Hey dude, 
uh, uh, security guard's like, yeah, they're down here, but I don't think they're bringing the limo in. Can somebody come pick them up? <laughs> Did this get any press? Like, was this national news? No, I mean, it was 1998. There's right. no reason for national news. It was, it was so unbelievable. And then we just hopped in the back of Chef's Range Rover. He came and picked us all up, and we just left the burning limo there. <laughs> so see you guys later. Holy Holy shit. Shit. Yeah. We almost lost half the team. Just think about what kind of what what kind of story that would have been in 2021. Holy! Oh my God! Because we all would have videotaped it. Yeah, right. right. Snapchatted it, tweeted it, right. Instagrammed it, everything, oh. and it, it just it didn't make the headlines like it does nowadays. Wow! Man. Wow! Yeah. I mean, I bet it was kind of cool to see it. <laughs> that, it, it was like for us, you know, it was kind of an adrenaline rush. Like it, it's hard sometimes. <laughs> duplicating the off the field on field adrenaline rush off the field so like something like that was like all right it's a good time guys yeah light your car on fire it's new training tactics genius yeah so for anybody in the future that's listening to this if you're ever looking for limos don't go through kevin millar yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um golf golf question top three golf courses you've ever played in your life we always get this question for us because we've been recently traveling around the world we've got to play pebble beach fucking pine all, all these places we're playing cypress rigs i didn't get to play cypress but what's your top three do you have a definitive list um in no particular or i mean for me pebble beach is just such this special place because you know you've watched it so much on tv you know you you've seen all all the pro-ams and then the u.s opens and the tournaments and all that stuff so like to go to Pebble, I played it a bunch is, is pretty remarkable, you know, and like, you know, to sit there and play number seven and, you know, hit a pitching wedge one day and hit a six iron the next is, is, is pretty crazy. I, I just, I love it to me. Yeah. I, I grew up on the ocean. So like, that's, that's probably my number. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the conditions I played in probably close to my number one, um, Capilano country club, uh, in Vancouver, Oh. Uh, uh, on the on the west West Vancouver side, so over the bridge. Dude, I hear Vancouver. Hills. Vancouver's just supposed to be off the charts. That city yeah. is supposed to be as good as it gets. I've heard they have good golf and good sushi. I don't know about the sushi, but I've heard from a lot of hockey guys that's the place to go when you go to Vancouver. You got to get the sushi. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible. Well, I mean, you just get such fresh, good sushi. It's got one and Chinese food. One of the best Chinatowns, um, you know, in North America. It's yeah. it's unrivaled. It's incredible. Um, but the Capilano Country Club, like you have golf shots where you're like literally like, you know, you got the Lionsgate Bridge and the ocean while you're teeing off and you're in the woods. Like it is it's super exclusive, super hard to get on. But I can I can try and hook you guys up if you're up there. Um, and then and then I would say for me, just because of the day that we had and the experience that we had, um, St. Andrews, I just the whole trip was great. But that that whole escapade of how that all turned out to be the way it was and how we got to play it and all that stuff um you know and it was a blast what's just, the story behind st andrews would you go you go with a big crew i took uh so the year i retired uh, after 13 season in 2014 i went with my dad uh my brothers uh my best friend my uncle who's like my big brother um and then three of my best friends so there's eight of us um, we all went over there. We played both Turnberries. We played Presswick. We played Kingsbarn, Carnoustie, both Troons, and St. Andrews. Um, all, all like we were playing 36 a day. We played we played every day at least 18 holes. 
and it was just awesome. So then we get, we didn't have a tea time as people might know, like trying to get it to work out with the raffle and then having to go wait. Like we woke up at four in the morning to go over to the caddy shop, to put our names in. So I raffle, I put the names in and two foursomes, four guys that love golf and four guys that were on the trip that, you know, if they played it, they didn't care. Like they, they love, they like golf, they, but more along, they liked the trip we were on. And those four guys won the raffle. So it's like, that sucks, you know? So, <laughs> but our caddy at Presswick's like, I oh, just, all you have to do is go up to the caddy shop and just, you float in a 50 pounder and you guys will be playing no time. So we went there. <laughs> really good. There's like 10 people in front of us. And I'm like, go up there. And I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I think we get on. He's like, well, got a pretty full t-sheet here. And I was like, Oh, okay. Hey, you know, if you can do anything, that's great. I appreciate the effort. And I just threw him some, some cash. And then next thing you know, he's like, Oh yeah. I found you at tea time. Yeah, Great <laughs> after your buddies. And I was like, Oh, this is sweet. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I like the fact that there are institutions and places where, like, they legitimately block times off for that one little tip that you can give them. They're like, oh, so, like, it's restaurants have that where, no, sorry, man. Like, you know, it's going to be a two-hour wait. It's like, let me know if there's anything you can do. Actually, something just opened up right by the bar. It's like, well, two seconds ago that wasn't there, but whatever. <laughs> I like the fact that, that that this process is in place because that you need stuff like that. That's really, really cool. Yeah, that's very whole- funny. Cause I yep. like when we went, I, I went over and I was, I met like a guy that I, that I knew who was like a listener to the show. And I was, and like, we were pretty much told you could do the lottery or you can walk your ass out there at two, three, four in the morning, however early you want to risk it. And so that's what we did. And we just didn't get the tip that like, no, if you just grease the fucking guy in the stand, you'd be <laughs> on the tee whenever you want. Like we just didn't get that tip. <laughs> and it was so much fun too. So like we finished our round and um, we just sat on, on 18 with a cool so we stayed at the russex hotel right there on the 18th fairway and there was eight of us and we had the four bottom suites along the bottom so we like we're just tailgating and hanging out and so we just ponied up on the green and the eight of us and we were just betting like you know two pounds on long drive okay and then the, the approach shot and we just sat there all all afternoon and and did this right so we're having such a good time and, and having this blast, have a great dinner, get done. We go to bed. Well, we kind of had this standing order was we never locked any of the sliding glass doors. Cause like guys had beer in their room or some guys had snacks in their room. And so like everything was, you know, you need toothpaste. It was like, kind of like a giant frat party. So it's three o'clock in the morning. Right. I wake up and my, my buddy is slamming pillows around the room at 3 AM going, get out, get out. And I wake up thinking, <laughs> Man, what happened here? What's what do you get out? We have like somebody in our my brother, 20 minutes before this, had lured a seagull into the alley with potato chips <laughs> and got it so that the alley narrowed down so it got to the point where the, the seagull couldn't lift its wings up and he caught the seagull and then he slid our sliding glass door open and then he just put it in our room <laughs> no and then he said there. Oh, we got it all on video. It's so good. He's like, there you go, buddy. Have fun. And I just wake up to this. <laughs> <laughs> seagull just going around my room my buddy's trying to sweat it with a pillow oh my god that scene andrew that whole scotland trip was unbelievable capped off by that incredible oh day and god. night right Dude, there what a genius <laughs> I, I couldn't catch a seagull if you gave me 10 years i couldn't no. figure out how to catch no a seagull no. you're telling me you're like engineering a way to get it into a slot in an alleyway where it can't flap its way like what are you like 300 you? he got it into the spot where they yeah. can't he did yes. <laughs> right <laughs> Yes. 
Holy shit, man. So every so so all of your best memories have uh, the word get out in the middle of it, right? It's the, the fucking limo, the, the, the St. Andrews. You just hear get out. You're like, what is happening now? Seagulls, limos on fire. The mad panic, yes. Oh yeah, we did, yeah, we had such a good time. I mean, I've been so lucky to play so many courses. You know, spring training of 2004, Greg Maddox walked up to me and he said, uh, I was coming off Tommy John. He's like, hey, you're, uh, you're hurt. You're not playing, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, all right, every, can you play golf? I said, yeah. He goes, I'm going to come to you every morning. I'm going to tell you what time our tee time is and where we're playing. And I was like, and he would just walk up. He'd be like, Phoenix Country Club, 1047, <laughs> you know. Mesa Country Club, 11.02, you know, Silver Leap. Like, he just was just going down the list, and we just played and played and played, and we played, like, 30-something, 32 straight days of golf. Holy shit. <laughs> and we're at Phoenix Country Club, and I have a meltdown on a par three. I think it's, like, hole number, like, 12 or 13. It's got a little water to the left. And I just I, – I, on, on, like, the back nine, I start to get the shanks. I'm, the, like, hosling everything. I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm really struggling. And I, I hit this ball straight into the water and I just took my iron and I just chucked it in the water. And I was like, I'm out of here, dude. And uh, he just looked at me and he said, Hey man, golf's not for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the fucking truth. Yeah. yeah it was so great, but he, he just, changed my, my golf world for the better. I loved it. Yeah. That hits you right in your core right there. What, when somebody says that to you. What's like the most stunning group you've ever played with where you're like have you like you know there's some stories people playing with michael jordan or whatever do you have a crazy foursome you've ever played with oh i mean multiple you know world series champ foursomes yeah um stunning round of golf or one that made you really nervous maybe is a better answer right like i like we've all had those foursomes where you just played with people and you just like didn't have it that day like for me it's whenever a guy invites me to a country club or you get a message or whatever and it's like you may know a buddy but it's that one member and he's just looking over you like he's like the bigger better person and you step up to that first date like i'll always have those memories just etched in the back of my brain just being like man i felt uncomfortable that day just that uncomfortable feeling to me like it never ever leaves me i think honestly playing in that first ever uh diamond resorts tournament oh yeah. um, because it was like my first pro tournament Totally. Um, I was pretty, I was pretty overwhelmed. Uh, uh, you know what? Take that back. The BMW championship pro-am, uh, when it was at Conway farms in Chicago and I was playing with Jonathan Vegas and, you know, um, some kind of heavy hitters from like the business world in Chicago. Totally. And we tee off number one, it's a shorter par four there. And I was like, I'm just going to strike a five iron down the middle. You know, there's a, there was like a sizable gallery for a pro-am. I was like, whew. All right. You know, <laughs> Here we go. And I chunk it. Oh, yeah. I chunk it like a hundred yards. I hit my straight ahead. Of, and luckily I hit it in like the cutout. I hit it straight, but I hit it in like the cutout. So it wasn't in the rough, rough. And then I hit, I hit another five iron from there to like just right in front of the green. And I'm like, all right. And then I, I proceeded to like struggle, struggle. And then I just got going. My brother was my caddy and he was, a, he was a 10 on a caddy scale. I shot a 75 with a double on 18. Holy fuck. Come on. Yeah. Yes. I double, doubled 18. I, I, I hit my drive. I said, don't go left because there's tall weeds. Even if I'm right in that bunker, it's fine. I bomb my drive. I get up there, and I'm so in the zone. I just, like, almost drained a 70-footer on 17. I birdied 16. I birdied 15. I'm, like, on this roll. 
I, I get up there. I'm like, where the fuck's my ball? And I'm like looking around and there, there's a, a marshal down in the gully with a, with a, you're right here. And I'm like, no way. That's not me. And he goes, yeah, you hit that gentleman up there. I go, I look up the hill. This dude's got an ice pack on his head. <laughs> and he's like sitting there like this. I was so in the zone. I didn't even notice. And I go up. I'm like, sir, I'm so sorry. And he goes, that's okay. Can I just get a picture? And I was like, Absolutely. Absolutely. It rattled me. I made double bogey and it was tough, but it was, uh, Dude, it was definitely nerve wracking. That's the number one fear for any amateur golfer that gets put in that situation. It's like, all right, I don't want to fucking kill somebody. I don't want to hurt somebody. And you come over the hill, a guy's just holding his head, bleeding all over the place. You're like, was that me, man? Tell me that wasn't me. That I sucks. always wanted to play in a full gallery, like in one of those primes where it's like really, you know, like the Phoenix or something like that. And, and then like, you know, you're like, Hey, can you guys just move a little bit back left? Yeah, and then when they all move, go. Hey, can you guys just move a little bit more back left? Like, just move them. <laughs> just keep doing it like four or five times. Dude, yeah, we always say like if Trent or I or any of us really played one of those things, they'd have to bring out those like airplane guys. That's just fucking. Let's walk you all back just another hundred yards. Let's start. Let's start using yards as as a form of distance here. <laughs> like feet's not enough here. Let's go. <laughs> oh, true, man. God. It's true. Because, dude, oh, I've, I've had that fucking fear. I mean, I've, I've never played in pro ends, but like, like I said, when I when I go to a new country club or like a new, I'm like, I'm sorry, boys. Like, I'm a I'm a missile out here. I'm a weapon. Like, I just hit one. I duck hooked onto the other. Like, I know I almost hit that guy. Like, there's no worse feeling than like just not being able to control it. And there's human beings around. You're playing one of those tight clubs, and you're like, guys, I've said the word i'm a missile out here so many times because you just see these things going at foreheads and i can't imagine <laughs> imagine playing where people are actually lining the fairways staring at your swing and you're like holy shit that first hole credit to you i mean you're a professional athlete you, you're much stronger mentally than me but if i chunk that first shot over pack my bags i'm go- i'm done no yeah that was that was tough to get out of man like i said my brother was a 10 on the caddy he diamond resorts caddied me and he was the worst and whatever he whatever book he read or youtube video he watched or whatever caddy he talked to um no he was he was pretty uh he was pretty dialed in and he got me right for that i love that you're an experienced guy we always talk about like uh, when we talk about our favorite golf courses it always seems to match up with like the experience you had at the course, right? You always have to kind of play pretty well and then you have to have like a good caddy. You have to have a good group. I can play the, I can probably play Augusta national shoot 120, but it, like I would, I wouldn't base my experience off of the golf course really to start. I'd be like, all right, I want to know everything going in. Like did I have a good group Did I have a good caddy was my like drive there. Good. Was my experience that I have a good drink. All that stuff adds up to me. That's why I really do, uh, you know, I, I agree with you when it comes to, like, we've played the best golf courses in the world, but my personal favorites are the ones I've played the best and the ones that we've played, like, and had the most fun. So Yeah, I, and that's I, when you asked me the list. That's kind of how it went in my head. Like, you know, being able to experience a ton of great courses all over the U.S., all over the world. Um, and then, you know, I played, played in Australia at some course where kangaroos were hopping all over the place, you know, Where'd like, you play? we've been to Australia. I can't, and I, to be honest, I could, I'll find out. I, I'm, I apologize for not remembering the course oh, name right okay. now, but um, it was, it was year 2004 we played there, but yeah, just like the experience itself yeah. was so much fun and, and, and having those, those times, because that's what life's all about, man. You can stuff is stuff experiences and memories. Those are, those are what's so much fun. Like when you're talking about experiences and caddies, like, whisper rock for me i love whisper rock 
And I go play there. And the reason I, a couple reasons, but I go take my buddy. And at the time my buddy was, you know, he was not a very good golfer. Um, and it's a, it's an overwhelming course to play that course when you're, so I'm playing with Damian Rhodes, um, his buddy my, and my buddy. And then, uh, and Bones played with us. Bones essentially caddied for my buddy, Evan. So he like helped him out so much, hit it here, kind of tailored the course while he was playing. And, and, you know, like he's basically got just 18 holes of bones caddy and form and prime Mickelson, you know? And after that, I wanted Mickelson to win every tournament. So bones could get 10%. I'm like, right. <laughs> like I rooted for him so hard. I didn't know. I don't know Phil at all because I, I'll never forget that. It, like to this day, what he did for him. Um, and it changed my buddy, Evan. He's way better golfer now. He's like, it took me from like liking golf to loving golf and wanting to be better at it. And, you know, that day we just, we still talk about it. And that was years and years ago. In Whisper Rocks. Uh, so Whisper Rock, like Maury Povich was the first one who started talking to us about it when he's on the show, uh, who, you know, he loves that place. And then I did like two months ago, I moved out here to Scottsdale just for a six, seven month lease. And you hear about it here. Like you hear no, no pun, but you hear like whispers about it all the time and the hang and, and man, it is such a good example of what we're talking about, where it's just like they don't give a shit who you are, right? Like once you're a member, you could be Phil Mickelson, you could be Colt Nost, you could be a local, you know, head pro. Like if you're a member at Whisperock, you pay the same amount of money and you have the same exact experience. You check your ego at the door, you walk in, they got two golf courses. They're both solid, like really solid, like really good, but they're not they're not like, oh, my God, you'd be blown away. It's not pebble. It's not. You know, but they're really, really solid. But the hang, the experience going in there and just everybody being like the caddies and the players and the members and the guests are all on the same page on the same level and you have a blast together and it's like we had a question one time a couple years ago that uh one of our listeners sent in that was like would you rather go out uh with like your three buddies your three best buddies back home and go to like the local dog track for a saturday round or would you rather get invited to the best country club in town you show up and you're playing with like three stiff members but you get to play the coolest course in town and it's like i think we all said like no i'd rather go saturday with my boys and and do our thing because it's it's about the experience and like that's just the answer is golf is about that experience. So it is interesting to hear, like, we're not architecture geeks. Like you can have the coolest course, a fine course, whatever, but that experience is what makes it so memorable. And it is funny how those rounds like jump to your head of what's the favorite course you ever played. It might not be about breaking down the angles or what the, what the course architect did here. It's more about like, no, actually like, you know, my buddy hold out on the seventh hole. We went and got a bunch of transfusions and pounded them with our caddies. And that's the best course I ever played in my entire life. And then they put, then they put a seagull in my room. Then they put a seagull in my room. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you're right though. Cause like, you know, another, another great trip, I, I I'm really close with my brothers and my buddies. So we, we do this quite a bit, but we did two years ago. Um, Ted Lilly got a team of eight guys. I got a team of eight guys. Uh, Ted Lilly, former left-handed pitcher. Um, he, he got a bunch of guys. There was like Cody Ross was there. Uh, Coy Hill was on the trip. Um, and then family friends. And we did Bandon dunes. So we rented two houses and they each sleep eight guys. You know, we swapped off dinner and we'd have dinner and poker tournaments so we play Pacific Dunes and, you know, they have the punch bowl there. So we get done the punch bowl and we've been having a blast all day and sun's getting ready to go down and we're, we're at the punch bowl. They're serving cocktails and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the PGA logo guy, uh, Elkington, Steve Elkington's there, oh, right? Oh, yeah. So Elk, he's out. Yeah, 
and he's he's buddies with Cody Ross. So then he somehow, you know, he makes his way over into our circle kind of thing, you know. And my dad, I, I, I said, my dad's the sense of humor guy, right? And he just likes to keep things light. So there's a ton of people out on the out on the putting, you know, 36 hole putting course here. And, and it's, I don't know if you guys, have you been out there to the punch bowl there? I have. I've actually, yeah. I've slept on the punch bowl one night. Oh, it's the, it's the best. So, so we're out there, we're having cocktails and my dad just gets his hair up his ass. He's like, goes over, grabs his bows, puts it right in the middle of the punch bowl and turns on Christmas music. Right. And we're like, we're like in, in, in July, I think, or August, it was August. And, and Steve Elkington looks over and he's like, Wooly. Christmas music, you know, and my dad just looks at him and he goes, Hey, Steve, take a look around. It's fucking Christmas. Christmas is a hey. mindset to your dad. I love that. Yeah, and then, no lie, dude, this is a true story. 1 30 in the morning, I'm going to bed. And I look in the kitchen. There's my dad in his underwear with his arm around Steve Elkington drinking a Corona. <laughs> yeah. That's where I get it from, guys. I'm they're sorry. They're cheersing. They're like, Merry fucking Christmas. One <laughs> thirty in the morning wearing their underwear. Yeah. Drinking eggnog. Yeah, yeah drinking eggnog. Yeah. Fuck, that's great. Yeah, I um, I was there like a year and a half ago, and we had um, – there was like 29 guys with Matt Janella, um, who's a good buddy of mine, and this trip, the Uncle Tony that's got a bunch of his good buddies, and I got lucky enough to get invited, and they do – you know, whatever, like maybe the second or third night, I think it's called the Uncle Bill. And it's uh, like you randomly get paired up, you, you pull names out of a hat with another guy on the trip and you have like a two man putting tournament. And, um, and the, you know, the winners, like the, everybody throws in some cash and you get whatever. It's like, there's a cool prize, a cool trophy. And it's just a fun part of the trip. And I ended up making like a 20 footer uh, on the last hole to go to a playoff. We ended up winning in a playoff and they give you this big cup, this huge cup and you get to fill it, whatever you want. So naturally I was like transfusion, like just order as many transfusions from the bar as you possibly need to put it in there. And they're like, you know, usually somebody puts like a weak beer in there or whatever. And so we're just housing these transfusions and like, we've been drinking all day. So I got hammered and I guess I went out to the putting green while everybody's having dinner to take like a phone call at the time, who knows who I was calling, like my brother, I could be talking to anybody, but I, I like, I, I sat down on the punch bowl at like 8 PM to make this call. And I just never got up. And they went back to the cottage <laughs> and they're like drinking. They're out by the fire pit. And eventually, you know, they're like, where the fuck is Riggs at? And they're like, call me, call me. And I think it was Janelle or one of the other guys in the trip was like, you know what, dude, I don't know that he ever left the punch bowl. And they get this crew together and they grab one of the shuttles and they, they're they all drinking and they got a very funny video of them doing like a search and rescue mission trying to find me. Sure enough, they're like legit laying like a, like a, uh, like Jesus basically in the middle of the green was me snoring my ass off. I just hadn't moved since like 8 p.m. in the middle of the punch bowl. So I feel your father's <laughs> yes. love for the punch bowl. For the punch bowl. <laughs> That's right. Oh. <laughs> and feel the pain of transfusions. That's what happens. Oh, yeah. It was a tough round the next morning. Very tough round. Uh, but, yeah, that place is special. We got we to gotta get out there again soon. It's awesome. Yeah, that is, that is a really good place. Whew. All right, man. Well, look, this has been, um, this has been very, very fun. We, uh, we clearly got to play some golf together at some point. Yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Um, if, I, if I'm making my way out for spring training, we'll connect and do that for sure. So. Sweet. Let's um, do it. But well, yeah, we uh, at some point at some point in 2021 around together is a must. 
Yep. I agree with that. Yeah. We're very um, we're very thankful for the time. This has been a ton of fun. We got to get you back on. I feel like you could tell golf stories for years, which is yeah. uh, <laughs> which is what this show is all about. But uh, people got to check check you out. MLB Network uh, off the mound, which is your interview show. So uh, so keep it up, keep up the good work, and we appreciate you joining us. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. That was a blast. Absolutely, thank you. Thanks, man.